You're now listening to the Longkang Kitties. Oh my goodness, we are live, ladies <gasps> and gentlemen. Welcome to another live stream episode of the Longkang Kitties. This is Jawa, your most handsome, non-political man ever on the face of the planet. <laughs> and today we have a very, very special guest, okay? Before, okay, so I'm going to let Angie introduce the guest for today. And then right next to Angie is Jerry. And then we, of course we have Dan Wong. You'll see him later. Okay. Don't care about him first. Dan Wong is the least <laughs> no, important. Turn, turn the camera to me, please. No, it's the least no, no, important no, like, component. Nobody cares about you, yeah, Dan yeah. Wong. We don't care about Dan Wong. Okay. <laughs> Angie, please take it away. So for this very special episode, we have Mr. Leon Pereira from the Workers' Party. He was an NCMP in the 13th Parliament. And then he became a full-fledged MP in the last 2020 election when WP won or joined GRC. Right? So... Mr. Leon Pereira, welcome to the Longkang. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on, everyone. It's really great to be here in the Longkang. <laughs> I like your red and black colors yeah. in the studio here. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice vibes, you know. Very ominous. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, so how, how I, I like it that John says he's non-political. <laughs> so no, I'm the most okay. handsome non-politician man ever on the face of the planet. So, so as to not take away, you know, like potential guests their potential mm. handsomeness but um, <laughs> I always introduce myself as such in fact we have one audience member who only listens to me to to hear what am I the most handsome of that particular episode then she switches off it's, it's actually like what you see you know, we are living in a post-truth society where somebody can just claim that he's the most handsome uh, without any backlash <laughs> that's a good one but it has happened all this time and nobody has questioned me Nobody has challenged me, so I think it's uh, I think it's fine. It's yeah. your version of the truth. I mean, if I'd known there'd be so many handsome people, I may not have agreed to come <laughs> on. This oh. doesn't make me look good, you know. Just to tell you. Well, I think you're safe. I think you're safe, especially with like all of them around. They make you look better. Thanks, they thanks. make you look better. So thank you so much for consenting to come down to our podcast. We have a reputation for you know, like Angie said, being in the gutter, being in the longkang. So thank you for coming down. Did you like do a background check on us to? To see what manner of nonsense we or shenanigans we are up to. <laughs> uh, we did, we did. Yeah, some oh, of my fantastic. colleagues did look at some of your past stuff, fantastic, and it was fantastic. interesting. You know, kind of pushing the boundaries. Always good to push the boundaries. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I mean, you don't know where the boundary is. I'm, I'm sure, yeah, I, I'm sure right, you right. you know about like pushing the boundaries. <laughs> That's like putting much. in Maoli, pushing the boundary. I think we have totally obliterated the boundary, except for except for Jerry here. Jerry here is uh, he's the reputation yeah. for perpetually sitting, sitting on the on fence, the fence yeah. to the point where he's <laughs> become the fence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Jerry is the fence. But okay, so you know, right, before this episode, I, I was very studious and I did a lot of like background like research on you. And then oh, I realized that impressive. there's actually not a lot of information about you and like your background and how you like came mm. to become a WP MP. Like, would you like to so tell us? So you didn't us have to do much research because like, there's not much. <laughs> I try, I try, I try, I try, I really try, but not much for us to like go read. Could you tell us like a little bit about why you decided to join politics and again, why opposition? Well, I guess you can trace that back to when I was a child. So I grew up in the Anson ward. At that time, there was this electoral Ooh, district JBJ. called Anson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the district that elected JBJ mm-hmm. in I think 1980, late 1980, when they had the by-election. So I was, I was a kid then. I won't, I won't reveal my exact age, of course. Like, you know, <laughs> I was extremely young like, back then, you know, barely having been born. But uh, yeah, I, I registered the Ensign by-election. Uh, it was quite a night. 
and I could hear shouts coming from the HDB flats all around when the result was announced. And that's something I'd never heard before. I'd yeah. never heard that kind of collective action, exuberance and feeling. You know, it always been quiet a state. People keep to themselves generally. You know how it is, right? Mm. Uh, can I just, so, can I just yeah. bite? Budge in and say that the same happened when Singkang WP won Singkang. Oh yeah! Like I was in Tampines and then like I could hear all of the people <laughs> in my block cheering. cheering yeah. It was yes. so electric. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah I saw amazing. the video about the condo that erupted. You know, I tell you, there was one of us at the WP HQ, and after the result had already been announced for half an hour, he didn't, he hadn't internalized the result, no. oh so God. he didn't know that we had won Singkang, and then. <laughs> But we told him, I won't say who this is. We told him once again, what? We won't say girl. We won't say girl. <laughs> he, <just> went, <laughs> he totally went crazy. <laughs> like half an hour after. Yeah, yeah. He said, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Yeah, I think like for us, I think there was a lot of fear, right? Like of, of like WP losing yeah. everything during that election. So when, you know, instead you guys won like another GRC, everybody was like, oh my God. Thank you, Sengkang people. You guys <laughs> made a great choice. Indeed, very good choice. Thank you, Sengkang people. But yeah, coming back to that. So I guess from a very early age, I was acquainted with politics and maybe that was one of the formative experiences and maybe there were others too, I don't know. But I always had this concern for fairness, for, for balance in the political system. And I also think that at the end of the day, you no one party or organization or individual or group of individuals should have too much power. You need some balance, mm. you need some yin and yang, you need some healthy competition. I mean, if you look at business, you look at industry, if you have a company with 90% market share, I mean, is that a good thing, is that a healthy thing? I think across the world, there will be a general consensus that's not a healthy thing. And that's why we have anti-competition law, antitrust law that has been developed for about 100 years or so. Mm. Well, in Singapore, <coughs> hey, guess what? In parliament, you have about 90% of the elected seats in the hands of one party. Is that healthy? I don't think so. So I think our system has to evolve to have a bit more balance. And I do acknowledge that that is up to, to us, you know, in the opposition to build that alternative that people think is worth supporting also. So mm. I think it's not enough to say there must be balance. We also have to demonstrate that it's, it, it's, it's worthwhile to have more balance because you have a group there that is doing worthwhile things, has worthwhile ideas, worthwhile people. So that whole positive narrative, I think it's incumbent on us to to, to pull that off for solar. Mm. Mm. Right. So, so maybe from like, let's say, okay, let me give you a, like a strange hypothetical. And usually hypothetical is the realm of them. I thought you are non-political. Uh, yeah, but no, I'm very political, <laughs> extremely political, in fact. Uh, so if let's say, for example, right now, the, there's one particular GRC that's like, 1 million voted for PAP, 1 million voted for WP, and there's like one guy left, okay, and you're, you're stuck in the elevator with him. Like what? <laughs> what? Elevator pitch, elevator pitch. Yeah, you have this elevator pitch, right? Okay, so maybe there's like, this is like a two-part question. Now one would be, okay, what, what would be so-called, this is just broadly speaking, right? WP's uh, position in relation to PAP, and then maybe what would be your own personal position as well in relation to the, to the party writ large? But how, how much time do we have? I mean, is the elevator broken down? or? Is it like um, okay, maybe like we say like it's like a 12-story, right? Yeah. That's, you, wow, super fast. Like a s yeah. slow, it's an, it's an slow old elevator, old elevator but yeah. 12-story, right? Because that's, okay, like 24, like 24. There are some <laughs> estates with 24, like, like right, right. Levels, Let's say right? like two minutes or so. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Very challenging, yes. 
Okay, sharp intake of breath. Okay, what I would say is, uh, first of all, it, it is healthier to have a more balanced politics. So I think that is something we should we should strive towards. And what we are trying to build in the Workers' Party is, you know, credible alternative, where we have credible ideas, we have uh, people who are sincere, who are conviction politicians, who want to contribute to the country. And I think that sincerity should be seen in the work that we do on the ground as well, the engagement on the ground, the activities on the ground to reach out, to help people to listen. So that's what we try and do. And in terms of what we stand for, we are generally to the center left, I would say, vis-a-vis what you see from the PAP. We have championed a number of policies that would make for a more livable country in a sustainable way, not, not going to an extreme we championed a large hospital bill insurance scheme, universal insurance scheme, long before it was adopted by the PAP. This is something I brought up in Parliament as well. MediShield Life, right, adopted in 2015. Well, that was the Workers' Party position for a very long time. Actually, even going back to the 90s, we championed such policies. So I think, you know, our general stance, I know you're coming to the end of the zero story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> level 20 already, level 20. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear the, the bell ringing, you know. So... Uh, Basically, you know, if you have a society where people feel that society has my back, that there is this communitarian sense, nobody's going to be thrown under the bus, everyone has opportunities, that will bring out the best in the Singaporean people. You know, we will become more dynamic, more innovative, more creative, more entrepreneurial. You know, you will see more of those things that, as a country, we need to thrive, you know, in the 21st century. So, okay, elevator door open. Yeah. <laughs> 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 maybe the okay so the, there was a second part to it which is maybe f- now you have extra two more minutes and then now oh, this, like now the door stuck the door stuck so now you're going down <laughs> now we're going back to the ground floor <laughs> which town council was maintaining this elevator <laughs> so, not the WP one <laughs> um, so now this fellow wants to know like specifically about you and where you stand let's say you're going to be the, the the leader of the of the GRC or the person that's like front and center specifically what are your stance and your policy that I know it's like really 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 broad but we are so the way that I'm doing it is less like from broad then after we kind of narrow 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 down right so like really broad your personal policy your personal stance on maybe even in relation to either the PAP or even in relation to let's say the other WP members like how are you different from the others just purely from yourself how am I different from the others oh, you mean like the other WP or even the other PAP like politicians, oh, PAP politicians. Yeah. some of them are more handsome than me I mean yeah. that's just straight <laughs> off the bat <laughs> unfortunately you know, I, mean, yeah, I, I disagree mean, I, you know, I'm in a crowded field you know so that's probably one difference uh, no I, I would say what I stand for personally is going back a little bit to what I said before the ele- elevator got stuck <laughs> uh, we, we, we have to have Confident society, you know, I mean, just summed up in one phrase, a confident society. That was actually the theme of the very first speech I made in Parliament in, I think, January 2016. We should have a Singapore where everyone feels confident that they are valued, they will, they, they, they have the full rights of citizenship, they can speak out, those views will be listened to, they can make a difference. There is a fair bit of survey evidence out there to suggest that Many Singaporeans don't feel that they can make a difference here. And I cited some of that evidence in Parliament recently, mm. that there is a lack of vertical, vertical accountability, there's vertical accountability deficit. So we want to create a society, I think, that is very much one where everyone feels that they have that role and they have that place. 
And I think it, un, under those conditions, you will get a lot more uh, better outcomes in terms of social mobility. We will unlock the creativity of more people rather than you know, a lot of people feeling that they cannot keep up with this hyper-competition. They, they, we cannot keep up with the, the pressure of ever-rising cost of living and people become demoralized and, 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 and people do not really fulfill their potential to, to the max. Lah, you know? So I think that's really the mission statement, lah, if you want. I mean, to me, that would be the overarching statement of philosophy. And then you unpack that and a lot of many, many, many policies that can come out of that. I think we've advanced some policies. Some of them, the PAP government have adopted. And I think we had a debate about this recently. You, you were so you yeah. were so cross at them for, cool. I, for I, saying I, that. Oh, I okay, prepared for this. Okay, let me do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so right, like in one of the interviews, I think you gave you describe yourself as bookish, dull, and introverted, right? But like your reaction to DPM Wong recently went super viral on the internet, mm. right? And then I, I did a bit of digging and we, I went to our favorite local forum, Hardware Zone, to see what the netizens <laughs> were saying about it. So I, I'm going to ask like the Longkang kitties to read out some of the comments, okay? <laughs> one, one for each of us. Sure. Pretend, pretend you're a Hardware Zone sure. person, the, the top one. Pre pretend you're a Pipui forever alone. <laughs> yeah. Very well spoken. A bit of fire, not too aggressive. Fire maintained very well. Medium well done. Mm. <laughs> and this is another one. This expression killer. Can someone make into a GIF? <laughs> and then Dan Wong. Pick one. His face uh, can tell he quite tulan. <laughs> and then my favorite one. Leon Pereira is one of the few oppies I have time for. <laughs> so it's great praise coming from yeah, like when you get something like that from like yeah, hardware yeah, zone yeah. people are, it's really like top praise. So were you were you Tulan? How Tulan uh, were you on a scale of one how, to ten? How, 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 how much were you reading? You know, the Tulan scale yeah, uh, yeah, from right. a scale of one to ten now. Uh. I don't know, maybe seven and a half, I guess. Okay. Wow. <laughs> well, that's, oh, quite, that's no, quite high. We don't want to see you at 10, <laughs> oh my God. What are you going to do at 10, no? Okay, my question was, right, like what triggered you during that debate? Because I don't think like there were any like <clears throat> remarks that were any worse than previously said to the WP or to the opposition in general. So like why that particular, why did that particular episode trigger you? Well, it's, it, it really goes back to the need to have honest debates. Lah. I mean, what you were saying about the post-truth society, I think, you know, you can disagree about things. Disagreement is healthy, you know, and the truth and the best path forward emerges from disagreement and debate. If you have no disagreement and debate, you know, it's a very dangerous situation. If everyone goes, yes, sir, yes, sir, two bags full, right? So I think it's, it's healthy to debate, but I think there should be an agreed set of facts and debate like, should be based on things that are truthful and, and, and fair. So when all those statements came from the DPM in one particular paragraph that, you know, you don't really have ideas that are really meaningful, they're just populist, they're not serious ideas, and you don't explain the trade-off, so this is disingenuous or dishonest in some way. So I thought to me, you know, it's very important to just assert that mm. these things are incorrect, you know, we have put forward serious ideas, well-researched, well-thought-through, so much so that the PAP government itself have adopted some of these ideas and turned those into policy, and we gave many examples of that. We're not saying that 
it's just because we advanced those ideas that they were taken up as policy. There were probably other voices in society that that put forward those ideas. Some sometimes maybe before we did, but the fact is we championed that as a party position before it was adopted as the PAP government's party position, you know, so you can't say that we have not serious ideas. And we do explain the trade-off. So in the recent debates on GST, on HDB housing, we talked about the trade-off, so the effect on the rate of growth of reserves, for example. We talked about that openly in a, in a, in a fairly detailed, very rigorous manner. And there was no dishonesty at all, you know. So I think if that that should not be the case. I think debate is should be, should be held based on, you know, uh, acknowledging that, that there, there are certain facts out there mm. and, 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 and based on those facts, you can have a different position, you know. So the position of PAP is that you do need a GST increase, you know, whereas for us, we maintain that there are some other alternatives. So that's fine. That's fine. You know, you can agree to disagree on that. Ultimately, the people should be well informed, understand the different positions and then they make up their minds, they judge, you know, that's okay to have a debate. But to sort of come out with a statement that is not really accurate, you know, Can I, like I ask a stupid question? Because <laughs> there are no the... stupid questions. Oh, okay. That, that's great. <laughs> I think there's so, a challenge. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, no, please, so, please go. so when we talk, yeah. So when we talk about the reserves, right? I'm gonna regret that, yeah. And we go. <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk about the reserves, right? A, we don't know like how much there is in the reserves, correct? But there's an estimate which is about like 2.2 trillion or something like that. Actually, the reserve, the, the estimate I've seen, like, like, like it's, it's, it's just, it's just wow, la, yeah, it's like, la. I've heard from between like 400 billion to like 4 trillion. Like, yeah, so like, the, I don't, we don't know how, exactly how much is there, but like, is there a number that we can reach and be happy with? Because like, I think in one of the proposals that WP proposed, right, like it's instead of the NIRC being 50-50, you would propose like a 60-40 kind of thing. And then, like, of course, everybody's like, oh, my God, you're raiding the reserves. But, like, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an artist, so I don't know numbers very well. But, like, you know, like, it doesn't quite make sense to me because, like, a slower growth doesn't mean a negative growth, right? Exactly. That's the whole point we're saying. We are not advocating drawing down on the reserve principle. But, I mean, the, the earlier point that you made, of course, there are various numbers floating around. The assets that are held by the MAS and by Tamasic, I think there, there, there are figures out there that they do publish, uh, you know. For MES as a central bank, I think they have to do that. Uh, for GIC, I believe the figure is not published, but there are estimates that are floating around the financial community. So if you put all those numbers together, you get various estimates, generally well over one trillion. And mm-hmm. I think this figure has been brought up in parliament, so, it's, so I'm not saying anything new okay. when right. I say that. Uh, And then when you look at the amount that was drawn down during COVID, so COVID was referred to by many, many figures in the PAP as the crisis of a generation. That means one whole generation, this is the worst crisis. So from a reserves figure, I mean, you can whip out your calculator and maybe maybe every one of us needs to do that. I also probably need to do that. So you you have a total reserves well over a trillion, well over, right? And then you, you, the amount that was drawn down was about 50 billion. Mm for the worst crisis of a generation. So, I mean, that's just to put certain things in context, you know. Yesterday, Uh, I googled how many zeros there are in a trillion and there are 12. (laughs) Trillion is a thousand billion. Thousand billion, right? Yeah, I know. And then we spent 50 billion. 50 of that thousand. 50 billion in a crisis generation. I mean, that's not to be complacent. I mean, of course, there could be an even worse crisis that that would require a worse drawdown or war or something like that. But I think the point with us is that 
the, the point that we have been making is that we are calling for a, a slowdown of the growth rate. Exactly what Angie said. You have very good understanding of oh, this, really? by the way. So I'm not a dumb dumb. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's better than some of the people in Parliament. Yeah. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really mean that. I genuinely mean that because it's very easy, and a lot of people make this mistake of fudging. What we are saying, lah, to say there is a rate on the reserves, there's a draw on the reserves, we are taking away from future generations. But actually, we are saying that you, from a slope like this, you can make the slope of growth like this, you, you, you make the slope more gentle, but it's still growing, the reserves are still growing. And as the reserve size increase relative to GDP, you, you can and you should slow the rate of growth so that you free up more funds for the budget to invest in things that are necessary to invest in. You know, as our society is aging, geopolitics in the world becomes more contested and, and dangerous, you know. We need to invest, uh, you know, climate change, you know, coastal defenses, all these things. You need to invest more in that present because having a better present generation will also help future generations. For one obvious thing is total facility rate, right? Just having children. If the present generation feels so pressured that they don't want to have children, there are not going to be many people in the f future generation, you know. Yeah. And I, I think we can all recognize that just bringing in people to become citizens can be part of that solution, but it cannot be the whole solution. It is a good thing to to try to encourage Singaporeans to have more children. And I spoke recently about this thing called the fertility gap. It's a very interesting concept. You know? So it is the gap between the number of children that, that the average woman has and the number of children that the average woman would want That's, to have yep. if she didn't have mm. any of the current constraints and mm. problems facing her. And you can measure this figure. There's a significant gap. Mm. So I basically put it to the government. I mean, have you studied this fertility gap? Mm -hmm. Have you try to do a root cause analysis and try and, you know, address those issues, why people are not having more children, you know, and one of the things that we cited in Parliament as well, there is some academic evidence of statistical causal link between high housing prices and lower fertility. And you see this actually in a few places in the world, and Singapore is one of those places, there's an academic paper on that. I think Sorry, like, long answers. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Like, I think we, we just had our lowest TFR in 2022 and 1.05 right now. And then I, th I was wondering as well, because right now I'm about 35 years old and a few of my friends are trying to get pregnant, but facing a lot of fertility issues. And the thing about the IVF journey is that like, you know, you don't usually get it on the first try. You have to go for multiple tries and the government kind of like subsidizes it to a certain extent. But some of my friends still go over to JB because it's like way cheaper. But to do that, like sometimes it's very disruptive because they have to take leave from work to go over to the causeway and stuff like that. So I was wondering if like more could be done for the women who do want to have kids because you don't have to convince them, you know, like they already want them. And it's more like, how do they get them? Like, I mean, not, not like kidnapping or like adoption, <laughs> you know, abduction, <laughs> but, but like, you know, because I was doing a bit of research on this and... Apparently, Israel has like a free IVF like system of support for all the women up till the age of 45. And like when I read about it, they say like, you know, up to two take-home <coughs> take children. <laughs> so like if you have like a miscarriage, they don't count it as like oh, a right, failed right, one, right? Because right? miscarriages tend to be higher as well for women who are older. And then so Israel has a 2.9 like TFR per woman, which right, is right. highest in the industrial world. And they also don't discriminate whether you're married or single. Right. So um, right now in Singapore, like IVF, you, if you're a single woman, you can't go for that. 
even if you have all your economic resources in place and stuff, you, you can't like go for I- IVF fertilization, I think. I didn't know this. This, yeah. this is terrifying. There's <laughs> so, <laughs> some great research there. That, that really is. I agree that more can be done to look at the whole IVF regime, the costs, the time, the, the difficulty to try to encourage more people to make use of the option if they have to and if they want to, you know, so to try to reduce some of the barriers to people taking that up. That was one of the points in our manifesto as well, to, to look at the whole regime, to create a national mm-hmm. fertility clinic where you, you, you really reduce some of these costs and other barriers like, for mm-hmm. couples to, 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 to have, have children. And the other thing that we have spoken about as well, repeatedly actually, quite a number of my colleagues, is to equalize the whole ecosystem of policy benefits, you know, financial incentives and so on, between uh, single parents and, 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 and kind of parents who are a nuclear family, uh, you know. Mm. Uh, Just so, to be like a bit of a devil's advocate through, throughout all this, uh, regarding the IVF thing, there's like a couple of, there's a couple of issues with, let's say, oh, we're going to just make it free for, for everybody or we're going to make it free for like some group of people up to a certain age. IVF is a notoriously unreliable medical procedure. The rates are very low actually, yeah, 20 to 40%. Yeah, it's, it's, and there, there, is a, there is a danger in having people think, like most people don't do the research into this until they need it. And then there, there is a danger in, okay, like, Oh, the government say oh, so it's okay. So then I can just like postpone it. You know, like mm. th- there's 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 that level of mindset lah. So, what is the, you know, is there like I, I'm just wondering, is it really such a good idea for us to be pushing more on the medical end, uh, as opposed to let's say the the more holistic, you know, like just just doing in your small bedroom. <laughs> you only need a tiny space anyway. Space like, anyway you, yeah, don't, so. you don't need a whole entire estate, like yeah. you know, like super so, huge no, with forests no. for you to forage about. Hang oh, on, you don't on. need a, a massive, uh, yeah, no, yeah. you know, it, uh, home space. It, in reference to that particular quote, right? She was only talking about having sex in a small space, not raising kids in a small space. Wow. Oh, you can. Fair, I mean, yeah, But if you have a it's big space, yeah. but if you have a big space, you got more places where you can have sex, and then like which increases your chance of fertilization. I don't know about that, but okay. Yes, but raising kids yeah. in a small space is a bit troublesome. Mm, that's true. Yeah. And I was thinking as well because I was looking at other studies. That's a great point. I think that point has been raised. La, and so, so that's kind of the counter argument. I think the way to address that is education. La. So I think some of this stuff should be pushed out in the schools and, and, and you know, from, from the schools onwards. La, I mean, there should be educational campaigns to make people aware of the risks associated with different kind of behaviors and different kind of choices that you make, not just in terms of fertility, but across the board la, in terms of diet, you know, physical activity, all these things. Mm-hmm. You know, Singapore faces a huge problem with chronic health conditions, right? And we're going to pay a, a, a huge price going forward unless we, we arrest this. So, you know, I would say that comes down to kind of education and health education. But I think the option for IVF should still be there because there will always be people who, for one reason or another, may uh, feel that they, 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 they have to or want to postpone that decision to a little bit later in life. And I think given our low fertility rates, it uh, behooves us la, you know, to, to, to really give these people a chance to bring children into the society. La, you know? So I think you can, you can kind of do both. La. But I, I think, I mean, it's a fair point. La. It really goes back to education. 
So like I was looking at other stats because you were talking about like the economic pessimism making people not want to have kids, right? But I was wondering also as well whether there is like some sort of cultural factors at play because, you know, in right now in South Korea, right, they are, I think Jeju is right now trying to push a ban on child-free spaces saying that, you know, it's not conducive for families and, you know, like it makes parents stressed about doing that. And, you know, South Korea has one of the lower, I think the lowest, the lowest PFR lowest, yeah, yeah. It's like 0.7 right now. now or something. Like yeah. That. yeah. Like, has it, was it the newest? I think the, 0.8. I think like the newest 0. is 0. 0.7. I, yeah. yeah. Like the last I checked, it was like 0.84 per woman. But, but anyways, I think the, the thing is like, do we make it very difficult to have kids as well? Because for example, Singapore, Singaporeans, right. According to one survey, we are like the most overworked country in APEC. We like, you know, an average of 45 hours a week and imagine like having kids on top of that like how you're gonna take care of them and then if both parents are working then you know like it creates a lot of stress like trying to take care of the kids and also like have to work and or some you know with the sandwich generation sometimes you have to take care of your parents as well who are like in their 70s 80s developing health conditions so like should there be more like research into encouraging like child-friendly environment like not just you know the spaces that we have but the attitudes we have towards kids like oh even if a child is screaming at a restaurant you want to smack their face <laughs> you're like that's okay you know exactly. it's a child they are blessing <laughs> you, to the do you nation think do you think it's okay Angie do you think it's okay I generally I actually do like kids you know I do a lot of workshops for kids oh yeah so mm-hmm. I don't usually get angry with the kids I get angry with the parents because <laughs> they don't discipline their kids most times if the kid is misbehaving. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a lot more that can be done. I mean, also just societal attitudes. So sometimes when you're on a plane, right, and there are kids who are screaming and crying. Mm. I mean, there was a time in my life and I would be very annoyed. But I mean, now that I really think it through, I, I don't anymore. I mean, I just accept it. And if I would defend a couple mm. who have kids that are screaming and if someone were to be rude to them, I, I, would, I, would, I would try to just say something in their defense. Like, because I think we all have to do our part, like, you know. I mean, if you want to to be a society that 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 has children that has a higher TFR, you know, you all you, you all got to do your part and accept the kids are going to be there in the public space, and and everyone has to be welcoming of that, lah. You know, mm. but I think the deeper reasons really have to be studied. I think you know, Angie, what you were saying about the 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 need to 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 study what's the reason. There's a lot of competition, right? There are a lot of costs associated with having children. This tuition industry is I don't know one billion, one point five billion dollars. Uh, there's there's a lot of academic stress and people are, are, are working very long hours. Uh, there is data to talk about hours work. There's data to talk about hours slept, you know, and there's some data to suggest that Singaporeans are also more underslept than many other countries. Yeah, yeah man. Oh, yeah. Totally. Six, I'm man. so tired. I want to sleep. Yeah, Not after right this, now, I, but... I may take a nap. After having some of your, you know, I see you have a bar there, so yeah, yeah, after okay. the thing's over, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we we but, can enjoy that and then like, you know, so but but I think yeah you know we should look at this fertility mm. gap mm. and 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 really understand the reasons lah and I think some of these reasons have to do with the the intensity of competition the pr- economic pressures that people face you know you, Angie you talked about economic pessimism so I cited some data in Parliament recently yeah. whereby you know a huge percentage of people feel pessimistic lah that their children can have a better standard of living than them and I've talked to many people who say that's the reason they don't want to have children which is very sad I try mm. and talk them out of it. But some people say, yeah, you know, if I can't bring, if I'm going to bring children into the world and they're going to have to struggle and they have worse 
standard of living than me, then I don't want to do that, right? So I think we have to break this mindset, you know, we have to reinstill that confidence. And that means doing things on many, many different fronts. For example, looking at our childcare leave, looking at our elder care leave, looking at flexible work options and, you know, what more we can do to make sure that everyone who needs that can, can, can have that. You know, these are some of the, the, the issues that we've also brought out, you know, in Parliament, in our manifesto. So it takes quite a holistic effort, but I think it goes back to really studying that fertility gap, really understanding the reasons and addressing the root causes, um, which includes more nap time. Yes, for <laughs> nap time, maybe like with your partner or something, I don't know, then, then, then you won't be taking a nap. <laughs> but anyways, right, I was wondering as well, maybe would there, should there be intervention at an earlier age? Because people are not dating very much nowadays as well, you know, like, so like another stat that I was looking up, right, like in a survey by Marriage and Parenthood, like of the 2,800 2, singles, right, 50% are not dating and 38% from that pool have never dated before. And these are people from 21 years old to 45 years old. And I, I have a good amount of people that I know, right, who are in their 30s, mid-30s, maybe like pushing 40s who have never dated, have never been in a relationship. So is that a cause of worry? And I think this will probably also be worsened as we go younger and younger because a lot of the kids now, you know, I mean, it's a cliche, but they're on their phones and connect making connections is hard sometimes. So like South Korea has this, in some universities, they have a dating course where students have to go on like <laughs> compulsory dates. <laughs> Is that something we should be looking into? Like, I'm not saying that we have to have like university courses for dating, but <laughs> but just addressing that. Because we, I think in my time, right, when you were caught dating in school, right, if you're a couple in like secondary school yeah, or something, they call your yeah. parents and then break you up. So, <laughs> I mean, then like, then suddenly 28 years old, you're supposed to find a boyfriend. They did that? No, oh, like immediately after you graduate, your mom is like, where's your boyfriend? Where's your girlfriend? Like, we're getting married. You, you know. broke us up, mom. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's like, it's like whole secondary school, you're not supposed to date. Then after that, immediately you graduate, you're supposed to have a grandchildren for your, for your Like every Chinese New Year or family yeah, yeah, gathering. Exactly. Where's your boyfriend? You. Uh? Where's your so girlfriend? much so that people hire these sort of fake boyfriends or girlfriends to come <laughs> yeah. to the family mm. event, right? It's like an yeah. industry, right? I had a constituent once who came to my Meet the People session and he asked me for dating advice. Lah. He said, you know, oh, what was your he, advice? He, yeah, he had had a series of unfortunate events happen to him in relation <laughs> to a scam. Lah. But anyway, he, he, he reflected on his, his experiences and he came to the realization that the root cause was that, you know, he didn't have a partner. So he asked me for my advice. So I told him, and, and, and I guess this is my response to you too. I mean, I'm probably not the best person. I don't have any training or deep professional expertise in on this question. So I, I don't really know. I know there were attempts in the past to have a government type of intervention. I think they still SDU. have it now. SDU. SDM. SD. Yeah, they, SD. they changed it to SDM. Because uh, last time when they call it SDU, people say single desperate ugly, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they changed it because uh, previously there was, SDU is for like degree holders. And then oh, there's oh, yeah. SDS oh. for the, the, wow. the so uneducated masses. Eugenesis. Wow, damn. Yeah, so now after after they realized that the gap is narrowing, they decided to just mix it together as far as oh. I remember. My friend was telling me about like this singles cruise that you can go on at reduced rates. 
And then Really? You mean yeah. there's a subsidy for that? I don't know, but she <laughs> passed me this link. Like so like I guess if you're a single person and you want to go on a cruise Jerry, ship. Jerry, what is your face? Jerry, <laughs> you why is that face? <laughs> why are you so judgmental? Yeah, why are you like so like So people style? just want to find no, love? I, yeah. I already don't like cruisers to begin with. I, I remember there used to be this this old uh, I don't know, I think none of you will know this show. Like mm. it was called the Love Boat. Oh, yeah, I oh yeah. Yeah. I've watched like snippets on it. Yeah, there are snippets online. on YouTube. Uh, so yeah. it was about this, this uh, passenger cruise liner. And then, you know, every single episode of the show, someone will be falling in love and, you know. So is that what we have to do? We just have to gather like all the single people and then put them on a boat and then ship them out <laughs> and then make them like, I don't know, date each Get other. in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> you, find a partner. If you don't find a partner, you're not coming back to Singapore. <laughs> Should that be a compulsory like five day OBS course is it, for for adults where they get to mingle? The new, no, I'm just yeah. the new national service. I'm not advocating that. <laughs> I, I think that's a good idea actually. Maybe maybe in more than five days, you need a bit more time, like a month. Yeah, I don't know what what really can be done so much. I know I know that this is kind of more of an issue in Singapore than in many other countries. It seems lah from from the data that I've seen. Although I probably haven't looked into it as as much. But what can we do? I guess. Um, I mean, we have to we have to reflect on it. We have to work on our attitudes. Is this even something this that the government can solve? Yes, yes, yes. So I, I, I always feel like this is one of those things where maybe we are just like unfairly asking the government to solve too many yeah. of our problems. Are we like crossing the line? You know, that if you yeah. if you are undateable, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what Mister Leon Pereira can do for you, I, other than give you like some fatherly advice, um, fatherly sage advice. But then at the same time, it's also like. I I don't know what is the government realistically expect to do but in I such guess situation. like in in a way like sometimes like our cultural attitude is also shaped by institutions right for example in I don't know if it's still happening now because I graduated many years ago but you know for example if you are dating in secondary school and then your parent your parents are called and then you have to break up then like it creates a very unhealthy attitude towards dating right like and then on the flip side, uh, it's like you think about what you're asking. It's like, oh, secondary school, then they start dating, then they don't focus on their studies. Then we are kind of like back at square one. In Like, I don't know what exactly the, the cultural attitudes we should adopt. One way or the other is like, hmm. it's I kind mean, of your always own. always trade-offs though. Yeah, it's kind of your own personal values, like right? You, you focus on academic and then you like, you know, grow up and you're 35 and then you cannot find a boyfriend so, then, okay. like, then there's no like more babies for the country okay, right so maybe Mr. Pereira let me just just quiz you on this right like do you think we are just too academically too money driven too focused on materialistic things to the point where we just becoming undateable rapidly turning undateable conversation has taken an interesting turn yeah. <laughs> you did not expect this <laughs> oh, but that's good that's good yeah, I don't know why I'm here I, I, I don't know whether it's the materialism per se, I really don't know. I mean, I haven't looked into it. I don't have any research. But my sense is that it may not just be that, you know. I mean, I don't think it's just that people um, don't want to date and they just want to focus on, 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 on their career. I mean, clearly you can do both, right? It's, it's just a question of uh, the willingness. I think what, what we need to do is just make sure that those people who want to find a partner, for want of a better word, you know, the, the, there are no impediments to that. They have the means to do so. They find it, you know, based on the societal attitudes, the culture that we have, you know, the dominant culture. But what if have, the, they can do that? They don't. They don't find it difficult to do that. But, but what if but, the impediment is themselves? Like I'm, let's say I'm just like a 
unbearable prick, right? Then like what? Okay, what? so so if you're an unbearable prick, right? Don't find a girlfriend because you inflict torture on her and don't procreate. No, but then the point is I can't even find a girlfriend. Like that's the that's the thing, right? Then like, good I, la, just stay that I, way. I, I don't know if like I guess the whole crux of this conversation is is there even like intervention to begin with and the there's because there's a lot going on right here right in, in terms of like dating it's so, not just about like oh i'm i'm rich i or i have a, a a stable job i am nice guy then therefore it's like therefore i am deserving of a partner that that, that also doesn't really happen overnight either and i and i'm just not sure like is there even a solution to this because we 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 keep talking about fertility, fertility, and the the so, whole, the whole thing has to start from somewhere, right? It okay, has okay, to start okay. From you let me let me change the let me change the topic. All right, so <laughs> kind of related, kind of related to the materialism, right? Uh, recently, there was an exchange in Parliament between you and Minister Grace Fu about whether Singapore is a developed country or not, right? And I guess like you know it's interesting because we we think that we live in so much material wealth in Singapore right and we are all hustling for it and we are all like trying to kill ourselves to get money so that we can buy the freaking expensive BTO and HDB flats right and then so so when I heard from Minister Fu that Singapore is actually a developing country I was kind of shocked and to give some context right it was because there is this thing called the COP27 where they had a fund for like countries that kind of like affected by climate change or, you know, like loss and damage funding and, and developing countries can actually claim from this fund, right? And then so you raised a PQ, I think, right? And then you said that uh, should we be a donor instead of a claimant, right? So are we a developed country or are we a developing country? Okay, before I answer that question, just to yep. round off with John, if I may. Oh, yeah, yes. I know you've Ken. changed the. <laughs> I just wanted to round off. I think so. If you, if I may, some people may 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 choose to be single as a very deliberate, you know, a well thought through choice, and I think we should respect that. But for those people who 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 are trying to find a partner but can't, I think it's not a government solution that's needed. I think you know John is completely right. You know, it's more of a national conversation. It's more on a reflection on what kind of values we want to practice. You know interpersonal relations with one another and then you know thought leaders opinion leaders should should try and propagate those values i think it's more that that sort of process so develop and developing countries i think the labels that are adopted by countries don't necessarily correspond to the gdp per capita in in every case so in some international fora singapore is defined as developing country and there are some other countries which also have high GDP per capita in the world. For example, I believe some of the Gulf states are also defined as developing countries. But I think in that particular exchange with Minister Grace Fu, the point I was making was that you know, we can choose to make a contribution and no one is saying it needs to be a vast contribution that's going to break the bank, but it can be a calibrated contribution simply because the countries that need support for biodiversity. You know, there are many countries which are really impoverished or countries where the government has very little resources, you know. Uh, so so it behooves us to do that, like, to do our part, to, 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 to support biodiversity around the world. Because I think, you know, when you talk about biodiversity, when you talk about climate change, carbon emissions, these are global issues. And every country needs to contribute based on what they can contribute. So I think that's probably where the conversation should be had, lah. Is Singapore doing enough for like, you know, climate change and, you know, 
inspiring people to do the same because you also mentioned about like how Singapore should be a, a leader right in in such issues and then like to take charge and then lead the way for other people because um you know like I think that's the right thing to do but then uh, but then uh, okay here's here's oh the, my god here's are you gonna the, say climate change is not no, real no 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 here's the <laughs> here's the center right perspective which I'm politically inclined towards so I think of it like this, whether or not we are developing or non-developing kind of is besides the point. As a whole, our total carbon footprint, like impact on the environment writ large across the globe is maybe less than 1%. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's very fair for us to be so-called a donor when there are countries out there that's contributing like way, way more to the, to the climate crisis. And then somehow we are the one that needs to be responsible for paying for certain things. So maybe it's a it's like a two part question. Uh. So one of it being, and then it's like there's there's. The but the thing is, like it. I mean, okay, let's say you know USA, like they have like a huge climate footprint, right? Carbon footprint, and then but like the impacts of climate change is not just like oh you contribute so much you gonna so much, right? Like it's you feel it across and yeah, no, globally, and like we, you can hear we, like the we gonna laws. like we we would be in the center crosshair of like climate change, right? I mean yeah. we are we are island nation literally surrounded by water, and we could just be drown underwater that's in like 20, 20 100. but i guess but yeah, that, yeah. that's my point right which is if we are the one that's going to be like right right at the center of the cross why shouldn't we be a claimant yeah maybe we just I, I, yeah i think we we are all conscious that you know we have to prevent some uh, water world scenario yeah you know, that, uh, <laughs> or movie that at the box office, i'm so know. pleased that you know this movie such a fantastic <laughs> movie bring up all these old cultural pop right. culture references right yeah no but i think we uh, we should not just look at contribution to total carbon emissions, but the contribution to total carbon emissions per head of population. And I think if you look at that per head of population, ours is actually quite high. Of course, you know, we are producing a lot of goods for export to the rest of the world too. So, I mean, I think you've got to take that into account. But I think to come back to the issue, the question that NG posed, there, there is more that we can do. I think for the Workers' Party, you know, we were championing a plastic bag charge, you know, and I'm glad that finally we are taking steps to move in that direction. Now. Mm. But there are more things that we can be looking at. And we should look at it in terms of not just an increasing cost, but also an opportunity, you know. Like if you have more carbon taxes, which is something that we have talked about, that we should we should gradually increase this going forward. That could also nudge industry to come up with more solutions that are innovative, come up with new products where, where we can be leaders and where you know, that those, those kind of products can drive our economy, those kind of innovations can drive our economy. So we should be a leader in electronic vehicles going forward, in EV charging infrastructure going forward, in carbon capture and sequestration technologies going forward. You know, uh, these kinds of things, like, you know, sol solar panel installation and maintenance, for example, these are industry opportunities as well, you know, green tech. So I think there are certainly more more things we can be doing. And I think going back to, to what something uh, Angie said, and, and this is actually a more fundamental issue. I think the, the, the tremendous opportunity we have in Singapore is to set an example, you know, to set an example for other countries. So right now we have been very good in terms of how the world perceives our efficiency, you know, our technocratic ability, our good civil service, our urban planning. These are all the things that Singapore is very well known for and is very famous for. Uh, and I think 
the glass is half full uh, in that sense. What we also need to put in there is that kind of democratic content in our society, the kind of ownership that everyone feels that their voice can make a difference. You know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, having a strong civil society, having very robust debate about issues publicly. I think if we fill in the other half of that glass, you know, the Singapore model, so to speak, can really be a powerful uh, beacon to other countries because the kind of model you adopt as a country now is very contested, you know, across the whole world. And there are a lot of people who are becoming very disillusioned with liberal democratic model that you see in the US mm-hmm. and the UK because of Donald Trump, because of mm-hmm. Brexit, because of many other things. And people are saying, well, you know, this can be dysfunctional. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, we have the potential here in mm-hmm. Singapore to combine that, that, that sort of efficiency mindset with also, with also the heart of a democracy mindset. And if we can combine those two things together and we can show the world that those two things can work well together, that's a very powerful model. And we can make a real difference one of the things that we often talk about here in the Longkang, right, is kind of like the the lack of innovation within Singapore. And a lot of it stems from um, a kind of very rigid educational system, a very rigid way of thinking, like mindset, which I agree with. And by the way, these three are illustrators. They are like, and I used to be a practicing artist. I've, I've given up on that sphere and, I've, encar- and I've encouraged <laughs> the three of them to do so, but then they have refused my advice and now they are complaining nonstop. But basically, <laughs> so I can't I'm not complaining. Flat. I'm not complaining. Oh, I'm complaining. I can't afford okay, So flat. basically, the, I guess the, but I think all of us are overseas trained, right? And he's the poorest soul. Goes to show something. See, yeah, you draw so many politically insensitive <laughs> stuff. It closes as many know. doors as it opens. <laughs> so I guess the that kind of like brings us back to the next thing. I, I actually, yeah. I actually really agree with innovation in like green tech and like pushing boundaries in in that particular regard. I think energy is gonna be uh, moving forward. The biggest question that we are going to be facing, like in the age of AI, right? There's mm. no need for people to be like running around doing the most minimum mundane stuff anymore. And then, but how do we power the AI? And that's like purely an energy question. And we definitely can't be just burning fossil fuel to, to power the industries in the future. So, but then it goes back to this thing. How do we even begin? Like what is the, what is the mode for us to, to kick off this journey whereby Singaporeans can start to innovate, start to be creative, start to be, you know, like pushing boundaries if we don't even do it ourselves currently? Well, I mean, for one thing, I would say that being a cartoonist doesn't mean you're poor. And I mean, look at Stan, <laughs> look at Stan Lee. I bought a book about Stan Lee's life. Mm-hmm. I gave it to my son as birthday present. But uh, yeah, more seriously speaking, I think innovation is going to be the key going forward. I think John made a great point with in this AI era, you know, raw cognitive ability is not the name of the game anymore. La. You know, it's really going to be more about, uh, not about, you know, winning the game based on someone else's rules. It's about inventing a new game, you know, based on your rules. It's about challenging the boundaries that you're given, you know. So I think we have to nurture these traits la, in Singapore. And I think a big part of that has to come back to the education system. This is something we, we, we've spoken about. You know, we have to manage this whole content mastery part of the education system, which is not going to be as relevant in the future, you know, given AI, right? And we should focus more on meta skills. 
so that you have the tools and the skills to, 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 to pull content when you need it and to analyze and, and look at that content with a critical mind. And then we should free up time and, and hit space, you know, for kids in the education system to nurture other types of qualities, you know, your leadership, your confidence, your creativity, your communication skills. Uh, so I mentioned this example that I brought in Parliament, I think in 2016 or 2017, which is that for some of the schools in Singapore, when you have a parent-teacher meeting, right, you, you will have a parent-teacher meeting that is quite interesting, like, you know. A lot of the conversation is really about, okay, what are the areas where the child needs to improve? And this is what we all need to work on. Like, that means as a parent and as, as a school. I'm not saying every, every school is like this, like, but, but that has certainly been my experience and experience of some people I know. Like. But then if you look at some of the international schools, for example, uh, okay, and there could be some local schools that do this as well, you can have a very different parent-teacher meeting where you, the parent-teacher meeting is run by the child. Mm. And you get the child to come and say, okay, Johnny, why don't you present what you have done in the last term and why don't you present what you plan to do, what are the goals you have set for yourself in the next term, and you present that and then you have a discussion around that. So that is so much more edifying for the child in a way, like, you know. You, you, are, you are a subject, you know, rather than object, rather than... The Singapore mindset would be they'll grade the child. It's like, yeah. oh, you... <laughs> five out of ten fail. Like, you don't even your, your goals are not ambitious <laughs> enough. <Yeah. laughs> hey, but that's very defeatist though. I, I mean, I, I often bring up this, this thing right, where my brother... My, I have a younger brother. He did like a poly and one of the questions in one of his exams was, what is your opinion on this and then he he wrote out his opinion and then they marked him wrong <laughs> and I, this is like yeah. the quintessential <laughs> uh, Singapore I remember that like yeah. when we were doing literature right like also because literature is very free form it's not like math right one plus one equals two mm. and then I remember like one time when I was in school and doing my questions, right? And then it was also an opinion thing. And then the teacher was like, that's wrong. I'm like, huh? <laughs> but you asked me for what I think. Uh. How can anything be wrong? Okay. Before, I, before, we, before we head on to other things, let me just uh, read out a couple of the comments. From okay. YouTube. Like, yeah, from YouTube. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we have CML. Looking sharp, Pereira. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the wall, the orange walls are a nice touch. Okay. All the well, kitties well, are special cute. effects. Did y'all do uh, to make uh, me look sharp? <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, doing, film, I'm yeah. not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, maybe it's the lighting. Uh, the, great light. the, the orange wall really does well for your skin. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very warm tone. Yeah. You know, gives you a bit of a rosy flush. <laughs> Baldina, uh, Baubinda, sorry. The kitties are cute. Wow. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Bobina, you're the best. Yeah. And then um okay, so regarding the regarding the fertility issue, Bobinda also mentioned not enough space to date. There's no privacy with too many buildings, many people squashed in a small country. Mm, okay. Okay, then regarding the climate issue, policies to do right about climate damage is a moral issue. Also by Balbinda. Thank you very much for that. Yep. Absolutely no one disputing that. And then EZUD, regarding the innovation question, pushing boundaries means failing till you succeed, but the KPIs don't work that way. Which is also like, I mean, this is a big, this is a big deal, right? In terms of how we decide to measure success. Um, like being, being an entrepreneur, I, I cannot count the number of times that 
like I've encountered failure after failure after and sometimes it's just consecutive right and it's just so demoralizing you know you you try to chase after this one contract doesn't work out and then it's like okay you know time to move on doesn't work out and it's just and then after COVID hits and then it's just like oh my god government shutting down everything <laughs> nothing is working and then it's just like why am I doing all this for but then you kind of have to you kind of have to push through and I don't know if like I don't know if this is a thing that's also inculcated within our society where we have to say like okay it's, you have to fail you have to it's okay to fail yeah, like, not okay you to have fail. to fail but it's okay to fail then yeah. you just pick yourself afterwards yeah. instead of just being branded as a failure yeah. the first time you fail yeah. right? it's, it's yeah. what you do after you fail yeah. and, and not the failure itself or you know not the success itself as well Right, right. I mean, that there's this expression called fa- uh, fail forward, right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and there's another expression called... <laughs> oh, you can, upwards, you can yeah. fail upward like the... Uh, oh, sorry, can I? Yeah, okay, let's not go there. Well, <laughs> we, know, we know who. Some people can fail upwards very well. CEO after CEO. <laughs> some fail upwards, some only yeah. fail downwards. Yeah. yeah, most of us fail downwards, of course. <laughs> has, your, has your kid ever failed subject before? Oh, yeah. Or done, done, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. What, 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 what do you talk to them about? Oh, like how, how did you address uh, the issue? Uh, very straightforward. I just said that, look, you know, um, this, this happens and it's a part of life. Uh. And don't let that get you down. Just uh, learn what you can learn from that and move forward. And, and, and make sure you don't, don't sell yourself short, lah, you know, basically, you know. And that's the best we can do. That's all we can do. Figure out what your natural inclinations are, what, what you have a passion for, what you can be good at, and just move, move forward on that basis. Yeah. I think there. No, I think to the point that uh, I think Angie was making about failing, we do have some ways to go uh, in terms of our social attitudes to accept that, that failure can be a part of a reasonable career and to give everyone another chance and not to demand that all our leaders or all our role models have to have this pristine, pure kind of CV, mm-hmm. you know, where you just keep going up and up and up and up and you never go down, you never have a setback. You don't even need a pristine CV to go up. <laughs> so, so I, would, I would argue right that sometimes some I feel just float our words yeah, yeah some people are just like I don't know they have they're very buoyant like you know like a jellyfish <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, ocean yeah, yeah. they, they started up and then just like slowly yeah. float down via yeah. parachute yes the parachute is a hot air balloon and goes up <laughs> yeah. I would like that parachute too yeah anyways I, I was just saying that um, I sometimes feel despair because I feel like the social attitudes are the hardest to change convincing people to recycle convincing parents to be to be i mean your 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 child is very lucky that you said that to them i can assure you that my father would not have done the same thing yeah like i'm the type of kid that when i get <laughs> when i get b3 for my math like my father comes down to my school and he demands the presence of the teacher and then the three of us will sit down and we'll go through the i'm not kidding we'll go through the paper <laughs> to see where i i made the mistakes and then I'll be berated for each mistake. Right, right. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding, right? Then and I'm not the only person. This is this is this sort of very deep-seated attitudes towards failure, towards towards education, towards achievement. Is 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 and and pardon me for again for for being so defeatist. It's not something. Uh, even if you had the might of the political party behind you, you can control the fate of the country. It's not something you can change because the damage has already been done. Is that your villain origin story then? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he likes being That's, here. This is, is why you're like yeah. this. That's oh why he, yeah. he loves it when we berate him. He makes him feel loved. Oh my God. <laughs> That's some Yongyan shit. Yeah. Backstory, you, know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can make a movie out of that. It's your Pavlovian 
Effect. Uh, yeah. My goodness. Like oh we no. ding the bell and then you're like, please hurt me. Yeah, hurt me. <laughs> oh dear. Tell me I'm not worthy. <laughs> Tell me I'm not deserving. <laughs> Just but hit me, daddy. I have a similar story. So when mm. I was a kid, not cartoons. I love drawing cartoons. I just mm. love drawing, mm. and that was my passion. So I would just get lots of paper and I keep drawing and drawing, and drawing every day. And I wasn't studying as much. Like this was the early primary school, right, so right, I didn't right. do so well in the early primary right. school. And then there came a day when my father and mother sat me down. And they had a very mm. harsh talk with me, mm. and they said that you know you have to really change the way you spend your time. So I, I still remember it to this day like, because, you know, mm. it's a bit traumatic and traumatic mm. things yeah, stand, yeah. stand mm. out in my mm. memory. But good thing you didn't become Hitler. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a painter, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, what I did at the time was, um, you know, I bawled my eyes out and then I tore up all my drawings. Oh right, so my right. parents were really taken aback. They said, no, like, we yeah. didn't, don't mean that you don't draw at all. But, right. I just kind of but you just have to show extreme. them. Yeah. Right, right, right. You have to show right. your dominance. <laughs> but, uh, interesting, interesting, interesting. No, I think we, how do you bring about societal change? Not easy, la, not easy. It's definitely mm-hmm. not up to politicians. But I think, I would say not just politicians, but public figures. Even you guys along Kang Kitties, right? I mean, everyone can model the right kind of attitudes. And that's how change comes about. La. You know, you have catalysts, you have opinion leaders who, who can bring about change. La. And, mm-hmm. and sharing our stories, making things happen, showing people that different pathways are possible. I think this is how you, you kind of bring about change. Or moving away from that fear of failure. Allowing people to take more risks. I mean, being an entrepreneur, I mean, the roller coaster journey that John was referring to. I mean, oh, yeah, I, I founded yeah. a business uh, 23 years ago. I can remember around the time of 9 11, 2001, right? Oh, damn. The terrorist attacks. Oh, so, around that Yikes. time, my company was very small. We had about less than 10 employees. We lost our biggest customer account. Uh, I think in October of, yes, definitely in October. Oh, what, what product or service was it? It's market research and, and some degree of consulting. Mm. Uh, okay. you know, so we provide this to, to MNCs. Mm. And around October of 2001, we, 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 so that was a huge chunk of our revenue. Mm. So I was really befuddled how to make payroll and rent and everything, you know, for the next couple of months. Mm. So we're doing everything we could, you know, stressed out of your mind. Then in January 2002, we won an even bigger contract than the contract that we lost, you know. Mm. And, 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 and actually, we, we, we still do that particular contract to this day, you know, practically yes. over 20 years later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's a roller coaster. It's the power of perseverance. But I guess, yeah. like, can I just bring up the point that there is a certain sort of privilege to being able to persevere? For example, oh, like. Oh, no, why are you gonna go there? Okay. Why are you no, gonna but, go and shit on his parade? This is a heartwarming story about <laughs> endure perseverance! Aren't you just a little bit privileged? No, 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 no. Let me just segue because um I mean oh, I faced that as well, you know. There was like there are like a few years where I did it as a freelancer. I don't I didn't get for months and months, right? And of course you were like panicking because you're like, Oh my god, is this the end of my career? No one's gonna remember me. Should I switch and then like go go I don't know, go do something else? I don't know, sell insurance or what? And and then like but because I had like savings right and i didn't have to pay rent because i'm still living with my dad right then i could tie through those months where i had zero income and and i think that is also in part like being like good in the game sometimes it's just outlasting everybody else like the longer you are in the game the more you're well known and the more people come to you at least you know i think this is the the case for many many people but i know a lot of my friends right who graduated the same course as me but they couldn't go through those periods because they had to like, you know, support the family 
or like they had bills to pay and then like you know like they just can't have months where of uncertainty financially and to go back to something that you brought up in parliament right uh you were talking a little bit about like the anti-poverty policies right and you brought up this term which is very interesting for me which is called bandwidth tax right and could you talk a little bit about mm. that and what it means yeah and uh before i do that just so to say i fully agree la. i mean there is some degree of privilege here la. i mean so not everyone would be on a level playing field when it comes to setting up a business. I mean, if you are struggling to just pay the bills, then yeah. that is very difficult for you to do. Whereas if you are living with your parents, which I was when I first set up the company that I founded, I mean, then you have a few more options. So I do acknowledge that. And, 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 also, and, and, and by the way, I would definitely buy insurance from you. you know, and <laughs> okay, thank you. I know. So like my first client will be you. I will, I will, if, if, if it ever happens that way, I will go to you. But I guess that like the was, other thing oh, is... Sorry, oh, sorry. The other thing is also because failure for somebody who is poor is a lot more massive, right? Because sometimes they go into debt and they, they cannot climb out of debt. And I was, I think you mentioned a statistic and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said something like 20% of the bottom uh, financially earning people <coughs> are actually spending more than they earn. <coughs> Right. And it's a compounding kind of thing. Like if you every month you spend more than you earn, then like your debt is only going to get bigger and bigger. Right. Yes. This is from the household expenditure survey mm. uh, where the bottom, I think it's about 20 percent officially spending more than than what they earn. So the gap has to be made up for in some way. That gap could be made up for by dipping into your savings or by getting some 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 informal incomes from from some source that is somehow not captured in the survey. I, do, I don't know. But that's that's pretty shocking. Bandwidth tax, yeah, that's a huge thing. So if you are struggling in conditions that, for want of a better word, can be described as poverty, right? You're struggling to pay the bills. Uh, you you could be living in a rental flat. You may not be living in a rental flat. You could be living in a three-room flat or some other setting. Or you could be uh, renting a room somewhere. And, and the rents being the way they are now, you know, that rent could be very, very high, takes a chunk of your disposable income. So it's not just people living in rental flats. I think poverty also affects other people, elderly couples in three-room flats who are unable or unwilling to monetize their flat, for example, young families who are renting a room and so on and so forth. Then you are so preoccupied with just survival, right, that you cannot, you don't have the headspace like, to take longer-term decisions to turn your life around, to think a little bit more long-term, like what kind of skills can I acquire? What kind of pathway can I put myself on that is going to be a progressive pathway for me, lah, you know, because you're just so preoccupied with the present moment. And I think there's a whole ton of research out there to suggest that if you're in conditions of stress like that, you cannot think so clearly and you, and you, you don't have the same capacity. Lah, I think you to, mentioned it takes off like some kind of IQ points of your cognitive ability, right? Right, right, right. It does. And this is, has been quantified uh, by researchers. So I think we as a society have to, to do more. So this goes to the whole point about the war on poverty. I think we do need to have that political will to, to, to wage a war on poverty here. So those people who are in poverty, those children who are born into poorer families, I mean, they, they didn't choose to be born there, right? Uh, if they are living in an environment where you can have nine people living in a one-room flat, for example. So I was reading a scholarly work uh, currently, which, which talks about one example of that, you know, in Singapore. So that's the kind of environment you are, you are growing up in. So, so what more can we do to help them break out of that cycle? So I, I suggested some ideas. My colleagues have also brought many ideas 
about how we we should revamp the whole financial assistance regime to to give larger quantums for a longer period of time, but conditional on certain types of behaviors um, that you? will help the family break out of the poverty cycle. So, for example, committing to attendance for your children in early intervention programs or other kinds of programs, committing to healthier behaviors in terms of just your, the health of the family, going for health screening, attending financial literacy classes, uh, things of that nature. Uh, I, I think there's definitely more, more that can be done you know, in this regards. And it's not just a question of social justice, although that's, that would be enough to make the argument to me. Uh, it's also a question of just unlocking the potential of everyone in Singapore. So it really goes back to that whole concept of what kind of a country do we want to be, you know? And, 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 and what do we need to do to make everyone feel that I'm fully a citizen of this country, you know? Um, so if you unlock everyone's potential, there will be economic benefits downstream, definitely. I mean, there could be some Elon Musk who is a child right now growing. I don't know whether it's the best example, but anyway. <laughs> so one example. <laughs> <laughs> I can criticize for that example, but anyway, I'll go with it. Lah. I mean, there could be an Elon Musk uh, who is a child growing up in a rental flat right now and, 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 and that Elon Musk from Singapore may never realize his or her full potential because of, of all these impediments, right? So we, 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 we could actually draw benefits in a very pragmatic, very economic kind of way if we take this uh, approach to policy. I think what I really like about your, one of your suggestions is actually streamlining the sort of things, places that they can apply to for financial assistance because a lot of times I think they are, the, the kind of schemes that they apply for is across multiple agencies, I guess, or mm -hmm. ministries. And then, so like there's a lot of paperwork involved and then there's a lot of people to keep track of all the different schemes that all this same person is applying for. So I, I think like streamlining it makes a lot of sense in, in the sense that the person applying for it will have less to do. And then the people who are administering it out also has less to do. <clears throat> Absolutely. For example, right, sometimes when... You, you, you make an appeal, whether as an MP or an individual can also write in, excuse me, to appeal for financial assistance or to appeal for a fine, you know, to be lowered because you don't have the money to pay that fine. Sometimes the response comes back that, can you produce this whole uh, bunch of documents, la, you know, pay slips, uh, CPF statements, uh, medical certificates, so on and so forth. Is there, is there more we can do? Because, I mean, for people in that position who really don't even have, who are struggling to get the money to pay a fine, you know, to pull together all of those documents and to scan them or to send them through. I mean, that takes time. Which, by the uh, way, we know for a fact the government can just retrieve those information yeah, and then you can just like consent to it like with SingPass or whatever. Yeah, but yeah said, I mean, can we, yeah. can we have a portal? So this is one yeah. of the ideas I raised. I so just a simple portal. You can click, say, okay, all the information you want, uh, I give it to you to, to evaluate. For example, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, yesterday I very like happily met a social worker, complete stranger. Then we had a conversation and she was talking about, so I asked her this question. I said, if you had the power, I give you magical power, right? And you could make changes <laughs> in the system. What would you change? And she's a person who left the industry because she was so burnt out, right? And one of the things that she said, right, was that she wants less paperwork, less administrative things because she cited a case where, you know, so like she works at with youths, right? Like at risk youth. And then like sometimes she has to write reports, right? So for example, one youth might be involved in the youth court and then also MSF. And then she has to generate two reports 
both of these ministries, right, or, or, or these these institutions. And I asked her, like, okay, are there any overlaps in the report? She's like, yeah, it's about 80% similar, but I have mm. to individually write it for each, mm. like, you know, institution. And then that takes up a lot of her time. And then she also, on top of that, has to write reports for the organization she's working with, like, you know, like update reports and stuff. And then this is on top of the work that she has to do with the people, you know, like counseling the youth, talking to them, like going down, you know, when they like something happens and stuff like that. So she was very, very burnt out like by all these things. And I mean, I asked, I, I was expecting her to say, oh, I want more pay or something like that. And that was not even mentioned, even though that's very important. Right. That's very important. Right? That is uh, very we have important. to pay mm. our social workers. That was not even in the top three. No, that's fantastic. I think the social workers we have, generally speaking, do a fantastic job. I'm so impressed with them. I have many friends from the sector. I used to be a volunteer with the mm -hmm. Family Service Centre for 10 years. And I work with some amazing people who have been an inspiration to me to this day. La. And many of them are still continuing in this line. Crazy uh, people. Crazy people, you could say that. We need more of such crazy people. Yes, we do. Uh, in fact, one of them who has been in the social work line for about 30 years, and I think I shared this in Parliament as well, told me that uh, you know, in 30 years or so that he's been in this line, he's now seeing social work cases where the children of the people that he saw yep. 30 years ago, you know, meaning that there is this poverty thing. trap that yeah. is going on where the poverty is being passed from one generation to another. So this is really the thing. I think when you have conversations about this, sometimes you get a counter argument that, oh, you know, uh, uh, some of the people who need this help, we also don't want to pander to them too much and create a dependency syndrome. And make it so easy for them because they are also partly responsible for their situation. They've made bad calls, they've made bad choices, blah, 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 which, I mean, there's a grain of truth to that, certainly, and I think no one disagrees with that. But first of all, you need to give them the headspace to meaningfully make a change in their life, right? And secondly, you shouldn't punish the children, right? You shouldn't punish their children for the mistakes that they may have made. You should kind of uh, break that poverty trap and allow the children to, to develop their potential fully, you know? So I, I think these are the things. But but yeah, social workers do a fantastic job. I think they really want to to help, you know, but frequently they are constrained uh, by, you know, the framework that they're in, the policies that they have to follow. I'm sure if they had a choice, they would want to do more, you know, I'm sure. And I've yeah. kind of seen signs of that. And this is what I sense also from people I know in the profession. Yeah, I think like talking about the general, like yesterday she also brought up this case where she said that there was this case where she witnessed like the grandmother was in the system the mother was in the system like now the daughter is in the system and then she's a teenage pregnancy like so i guess like probably the next generation is probably also going to be in the system and she says that like and when she talked to some of these young kids right they know that they're in this like thing right that they cannot get out of because it's very extremely hard like when when they have help from the government like it's maybe like a one hour session but then they go back to the conditions that they're in like really crowded flats and then maybe like friends who are you know like not great influences on them and then so it's very easy to relapse into like behaviors because there's no space for them to go elsewhere where they can you know even just have the space to be alone sometimes Absolutely, yeah. You can have a crowding in a, in a very small space. You don't have sufficient uh, space to, to, to study, to work, to, to pursue other things, you know. Of course, there has been some progress in some way. I don't think any of us would say that there hasn't been. So there are some study spaces that you can use, you know, whether it's in the school or whether it's in the community. You have the Comling Initiative, which I think has come about very recently as a way to try and streamline all the kinds of support for at-risk families in some uh, rental blocks. 
So, I mean, these are all steps in the right direction. Glad to see that this has happened, but there's certainly a lot more that needs to be done to really break this poverty cycle. And just because some people can do it, I don't think you can look at that and say, oh, then there's, there's, no, there's no issue. Anyone can do it. So for, I, know, I know people <laughs> who have broken through that cycle. So for example, there was a mother and a daughter that were living in a rental flat in the East Coast GRC. So, you know, Workers' Party is very active in East Coast GRC. Um, I got to know this particular family. And the daughter is academically very bright and she really applies herself. So she got into NUS. She's, 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 she's mm-hmm. doing very well, even though she's living in a rental flat. But you see, these are, I think, a minority of people who manage to do that. So you can't say, oh, just because the minority can do that, everyone can do that. You know, uh, There was a study I came across, I think, from 2013 or 2015, which said that the bottom quint- children who are born to the bottom quintile by income, about 15% can make their way to the the top quintile. I think this is a rather dated study, so I don't mm. think it's current. I, I, I will be surprised if the data is that is that good right now. But but even if you have 15%, you can do that. 85% can't, right? So, I mean, you need to address that 85% too. So I think we also have to get away from having this kind of conversation. Oh, because I know this guy, uh, he was born into poverty. And, some PAP MPs also yeah, live in rental we, we apartments, been, right? Yeah, we've been talking about this in this podcast a lot, right? This, oh, really? this whole very dominant narrative, you know, people are pushing that, oh, rags to riches. If you just work hard enough, <laughs> if you just really desire it enough and you push yourself the property. hardest. Yeah, but it, it is happening now. It is, it is, and it's, I feel like it's a bit dangerous, uh, maybe a bit disingenuous, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I like... I mean, it's, it's, it's empowering. I don't, I don't doubt that aspect of it, but... Yeah, like you said, like 85% donor, then how? <laughs> but even just going out of like talking about people who are not so well off, like I think mm. in general, like social mobility um, globally has been kind of slowing down. I think Singapore is 20, 20th out of 82 countries on social mobility, according to the World Economic Forum report in 2020. So yeah, it's a bit scary, I guess, because like, I think everybody just wants to have a good life, right? Is 20 but, good or bad? I don't know. Hmm? 20 is good or bad? 20th out of 82 is not that bad. La. It's okay. La. It's not too bad. La. Yeah. But we're not the first. But la. then the... So, <laughs> like here's the, the trend that I noticed, right? In terms of like countries with um, huge social, social mobility, which is often there's a, there's a huge element of chaos within the nation. So let's take China during the, the 80s and 90s as an example where... Um, there wasn't like so much rigidity in, in terms of like what people can do. And then this like, they have this like overnight explosion of billionaires that just basically like materialized out of nowhere. But there was a very significant cost to it as well. So we have like, for example, the melamine baby powder, right? We have people really like making really unscrupulous decision in order just to, to turn the dollar, to, to pull themselves out of poverty, you know, to scam others. I think a lot of, a lot of the current scammers are operating out from like places like India, China. Mm-hmm. So they are, they, all this all this represents opportunity for the people who are in poverty. But at the same time, all of these are elements of chaos that seems very difficult to contain. And then upon containment, reduces social mobility. There is, there is this really weird tension that is going on. Like we need to have some chaos so that people can rise to the top without restraint but at the same time we also need to have rules in place so that people don't like do dumb shit do illegal criminal activity right <laughs> so this is the this is often the, the the tension that 
we we have to we have to navigate what would be your prescription mr para like in terms of like or do you even agree with my assessment that's number one number two if let's say you do agree what would be like your prescription to to something like this uh, first of all, please call me Leon. Uh, don't call me Mr. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay you can, can. Me. Yeah. I think, yeah. uh, well, what, what you said, I don't know if we need to choose within one or the other. Uh, so you're saying that, you know, if you free up the rules, you have a more dog-eat-dog kind of a free market kind of environment, then people may be able to rise up based on street smarts and that kind of a thing. I mean, the way I would put it is that you have to have an environment which allows for different pathways, lah, you know. So, uh, for example, one huge subject is trades jobs, right? So people who are more vocationally inclined, people who are more interested in, in, in trades jobs or jobs that involve a technical skill rather than academic accomplishment, right? We should make sure that those jobs are sufficiently well-paid, they have good conditions, they have career progression. People who go into that line can eventually maybe set up their own business, be it in aircon repair or plumbing or, 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 or whatever it is, carpentry, you know? So this is a huge subject. I've talked about it, my colleagues have talked about it in Parliament. There's a lot more that we need to do in, in, in that regard, you know. And part of that also is defending that kind of Singapore core and the trades jobs and making sure that those jobs are attractive enough to attract Singaporeans in. And then at the same time, you can complement with some new citizens from other countries who are very, very skilled in trades jobs and make them into citizens of Singapore. So you have a strong pool there. So I would say you've you got to have different pathways. There doesn't have to be just one uh, pathway we do well in school. And then you have this pristine, pure CV. You know, we were talking about this. When you just keep getting promoted and promoted and you have a sort of flawless career and so on. We, we've got to get away from that. Uh, I was, sometimes the prison is in the mind. So I'm reading this scholarly work I told you about inequality and educational inequality in Singapore. And one of the findings from this book, which is based on ethnographic research with uh, very poor families, is that sometimes the children feel intimidated and they feel that, well, you know, if I study very hard and I do very well and I go into a very good class or a very good school, I will find myself out of place. You know, I won't be able to fit in. I may be looked down upon. I may not be able to keep up because I will be in a class with people who have so many more advantages than I have in a very, diff a very different kind of life situation. So therefore, I, I will not want to, to aim high. I will want to aim low academically. Uh, because that's more realistic, la. you know, that's more achievable. So we, we, we have to also counter that. La. You know, I don't just mean in an academic sense. I think there are different pathways you can pursue academically and we shouldn't stigmatize people who want to pursue that vocational path. But I mean, just in a general sense about, you know, who am I? What are my prospects? What are my future? We, we have to get rid of that kind of self-stigmatization, you know, where you feel, hey, I don't want to overreach because then I will, I won't be able to sustain that, you know. I don't know if the answer is your question. <laughs> <laughs> we have a few more comments coming in. So let me just read a couple of them. We should relook at how we calculate marks. Can effort be provided more weightage and praises for achieving certain benchmark? This will create a culture of success. Is the mother of all failures. So this is regarding previously our education conversation right participation uh, i think it's yeah. also right yeah correct and then um we have another one by the same fellow culture can be changed just need more time and effort suggested reading this is what inequality inequality looks like by Tio yuyen yeah. yep uh, charlene says hi hi charlene and then after <laughs> that, yeah this is charlene is one of our long time listeners so thanks for joining in 
Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that that whole thing about, you know, there's this old chestnut that in some countries, right, the student will raise their hand in the class even though they're not sure they have the right answer. Yeah. But our uh, society, mm, right, you mm, only raise mm. your hand, you're absolutely sure because you don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> you don't want to yep. get it wrong, you know, that fear of failure. So that's the kind of mindset we have to address now. I, I, I mean, have, sorry, I also have questions from good friend of the show, Reggie, who, who is the chief financial coconut <laughs> at the Financial Coconut Podcast. So he's asking, um, ask him if he's running for Tampanese Haha. Are you running for Tampanese? <laughs> <laughs> Please do. I mean, Tampanese, I'll definitely vote for you. Okay. If you, if you can't. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that is something that the party has a process to decide who will run and not run okay. and uh, who and, and where they will go. Uh, so, of course, we uh, cannot comment. But, of course, you know, feedback is always welcome. And I think we always welcome our good people to, to come and join us. This is very important. Yep. I mean, we, we always get a lot of encouragement from people say, hey, come here and run here, come and run there. So I think the, 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 the enabler, the key enabler is we need more good people to, to join the Workers' Party. So that's my sales pitch, you know, please, <laughs> good people. Including I, I, so I think you already have two votes confirmed. One is Angie, the other one is uh, Reggie. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't know Reggie also in Tampanese. Like, hey, fellow but, insider. But now he's uh, working out of Malaysia. I think he's also finding it too, too costly to work in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a lot of people are doing that, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And then the second question is, when are you coming to the financial coconut? That's his show. It's actually quite quite a interesting show and he has a great reach as well. Like, mm. like for he talks about economic stuff and yeah. money stuff. Right. And mm-hmm. he, he did contribute to, to one of our show as well, which is like during one of our budget episode. So this guy is very knowledgeable in terms of money aspect. And he's actually kind of like my pseudo mentor now for monetizing this podcast. Because uh, we have okay. just been very poor. Yeah. So <laughs> just, we're just paying money. Yeah. Oh dear. Deal after you. Equipment. So <laughs> why you call yourself a long kang kid? Yeah, yeah, that's why. That's why we are like all like super <laughs> ghetto and super deep. So we're trying to dig ourselves out. <laughs> so that means you have to change your name, lah. If you become uh, financially lucrative. No, we will pretend to be poor. Kitty, we'll just be. We'll just the, pretend the re- to be. The readout kitties. Exactly. Yeah. We level up already. Level up already. No, you can tell. You can tell him that, uh, yeah, let's just, just fix a date. Yeah, I think okay. my colleague Louis Chua, the Sengkang MP, was on yeah. the show Ooh. recently. Yeah, I, I believe so. So Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. I'd love Amazing. to go on the show. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, he's a very nice guy, very chill guy. I think you, if you like hanging out with us, you definitely like hanging out with him. He <laughs> haven't said he like hanging out with us. That's why I can neither confirm nor deny. Plausible deny. I like hanging out with you all. Wait, wait, wait. We got something to sweeten the deal. We got alcohol outside later. Oh, yes, yes. After that, that was the only reason I came. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that we haven't touched upon, but I'm very curious about, right, is you talked about like delinking the PA from the mm. from the PAP, right? And also, like DPM Wong recently said that public service should be politically sensitive but not politicized. And last year, you talked about housing benefits for grassroots leaders, amongst other benefits, right? For, I think a lot of the younger generation don't know this stuff. For the, for, for the younger people, uh, um, can you tell them what are some of these benefits and why is it important to delink PA from PAP? The, oh, yeah. the, the, the caveat to this is you must pretend you are talking to a 15, 16, 17 year old. You have to use like words oh. like yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, no yeah, cap. Yeah. And I don't know. <laughs> la, I don't know. I try. No, I know, la, but you know what I mean. Like, see whether you can, you can, it's a challenge, it's a challenge. A no, challenge. I mean, I have 
have a 15 year old. Oh, that's true. Oh, 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 actually, you are an expert. Okay. Oh, my goodness. You're better than us, <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, Sometimes they can be a bit precocious and, and sort of out-talk me, you know. Uh, <laughs> but okay, I'll try, I'll try. Okay. So for volunteers with the grassroots organizations, there are these schemes which can give you a certain amount of preference for applying for housing. Mm. And I believe in terms of uh, parking as well, and also in terms of registering your child for primary one in, 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 in a school that you, you, you want to register in and which is located within the vicinity of where you do that grassroots work. Lah. Of course, there are various conditions that you have to fulfill in order to benefit from these schemes. So for the primary one registration preference for grassroots volunteers, I don't know if my language is 15-year-old friendly <laughs> here. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> You, you have to, I think, volunteer for a certain number of years. I think it's two years or three years of a runway. They introduced this rule a few years back, which to me is kind of funny. La. I mean, why would you need to? I mean, just think about it for a minute. The thing about, like, the thing that was really interesting, funny for me is because uh, Minister Chan Chun Singh said that, like, GRLs are volunteers who serve the community ex actively. But there's a weird sense because you think of volunteering, right? You don't get anything back from it, right? So if, if you do have like advantages or benefits accorded to you from your volunteer work, then it's really not volunteering, feels, is it? Feels a bit like a quid pro quo thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Like, like yeah, there's I something mean, in return. I mean, those two statements don't quite seem to gel, right? I mean, if you are doing this for altruistic reasons, then there is no reason to, to give those benefits, right? And, you know, they... they Coming back to this, they, they, they introduced this rule some years back to say that if you are volunteering in the grassroots, you know, this primary one registration in, in a choice school is very attractive to, to many people. And they introduced a requirement to say that you have to be volunteering for a certain number of years before you can get this. You can't just sort of short last minute, uh, a few months before and, and get this. So, I mean, just think about that for a minute. I mean, why was it necessary to make that change, right? I mean... Why was that necessary? I'll, I'll just leave that as a, as a question. Mark. <laughs> I'll just have to say this. The funniest thing is everything you say, right, was my exact experience when I was a volunteer of PA when I was 16, 17 years old. So, and that was kind of like, like you know. Which, by the way, was about 200 years ago. Jerry's very old. Jerry's very old. He's, 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 he's Jerry's about like geriatric yeah, already. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm the ancient one here, yeah. So, so, when I was like a teenager, like, you know, exactly what you were saying, the, the senior volunteers, those who are still in the PA People's Association Youth, YEC, they all told me the same thing. Those guys were in their 30s and 30, 35 was the limit, right, if I'm not wrong. So they're all telling me the same thing. Oh, next time you have kids, you know, you, you're going to be able to get, get them into uh, the, the P1 of your choice, you know. And after a while, I started thinking, I'm like, wait, hang on. Are we not volunteering because we want to volunteer? Like, you know, you why mean, are we... You mean you're not doing this out yeah, of the yeah, goodness I mean, of your heart? Maybe I'm a little bit too naive and, and you know, like, I'm just, I'm there to volunteer, right? So... In the end, I'm just like, you know what, forget it. I'm just not going to volunteer anymore. Yeah, I think when you talk about this, I mean, I want to be absolutely clear. I'm mm. sure there are many, many, many PA volunteers who are genuinely altruistic. Mm. I've met quite a number. I've met quite a number. And I've met quite a number of PA volunteers who help out with RC groups, NC mm. groups, whatever it is, uh, who are doing it for the community. Mm -hmm. And they emphasize that to me. They say, look, we're we not coming into this because we want to be political or to get certain benefits. So I think there are many people who do that. But that kind of calls into question why you have these uh, yeah. benefits there, you know. And, and if you're going to have such benefits 
or grassroots volunteers, then shouldn't, I mean, if you want to recognize a volunteerism in general, then in theory, you want to extend those benefits to civil society groups who are also volunteering and doing similar work. I mean, I'm not saying that we should do that, but I'm saying that why do you single out one group of volunteers to get these benefits, right? So, yeah, it's a question. But I think coming back to the point you raised, uh, my colleague, uh, the Aljunid MP, uh, Muhammad Faisal Manap, so he recently made a speech, I see Jerry uh, smiling, <laughs> he recently made a speech in uh, older people follow uh, uh, speeches more, I think. Uh, young people don't follow parliament, uh, old people, that's why Jerry is smiling. Oh, shit, I'm old also then. <laughs> you're old at heart. Old. Oh, thanks. So, Thank young, you, you're so young, kind. Yeah. So, so he, he made a speech saying that, you know, you have this grassroots advisor role, right? Which, which usually, but not in all cases, usually tends to be fulfilled by a PAP MP or, or a PAP branch secretary or, or a PAP candidate in that area who, who didn't win. La. So it's, it's a politician's grassroots advisor. And then this grassroots advisor does various things. One of the things is to explain government policies mm-hmm. and to, to take feedback on government policies at the last mile, so to speak. That's this expression that they use called the last mile, which means at the retail level, I suppose. Uh, so his suggestion in parliament was, why can't a non-political person play that role, mm-hmm. you know? Why can't, say, a civil servant or someone who uh, has plays a certain role in society, maybe a civil society leader or a person in business or whatever it is, like, you know, why can't someone else play that role? Why does he have to be a politician from one particular party? You know, isn't that introducing part- a partisan element into something that is governmental or that ought to be governmental? Because... You know, as a civil servant, for example, you, you have a role to explain the government's policies uh, and to, to take feedback to improve those policies. That is what civil servants do. They have to report to the government of the day that is elected. At the end of the day, that's true in all elected democracies. So that is a function that, that a civil servant can do, right, in theory. So why does that function have to be fulfilled by, by a sort of quote-unquote politician? There, there has recently been one case where grassroots advisors were appointed who are not politicians. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think Faisal also mentioned that in Parliament. So I think this is, this is a question to, to consider, you know. But I think definitely when we just look at the whole field of policies, right, I'm sure most Singaporeans would agree that when you are using state resources, you have to take extra care that those state resources that are coming from taxpayer money, our money, right, I mean, if you are taking your own private money to do things, that's fine. Lah. I mean, you know, any politician can, can raise their own funds and donations and do certain things that, that promote their political cause. That's fine, you know. But if you're using state resources, take extra care that you are not giving some unfair advantage to one political party or another. You, you can represent the state, right? You can represent the government of the day, but that is different from benefiting a political party in, in, in a competitive political process. Lah. I think the PAP. Sorry for the rent. No, it's fine. <laughs> Please rent away. We love rents. <laughs> oh, you love rents? Huh? Yeah, we Why didn't you tell me at the beginning? We'll oh, you want? Okay, we can go, go we'll some more. We can TikTok, go some more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think the, the PAP has generally maintained that, you know, the PA is neutral. So they say. And then wondering, like, is it even possible to delink it? Because, you know, like the PA has been in existence for many, many years and like with institutions that are like so, so old and very like has, has a very deeply entrenched culture. Is it even possible to like completely change it at all? Well, I think if you are talking about 
I mean, the PA has various functions. Okay, so one of those functions seems to be to uh, explain government policies and to take feedback on 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 those policies. So, can you redesign that function? I mean, the PA is a stat board at the end of the day. Like we have various stat boards, GTC, EDB, NEA. The PA is another statutory board. It means that the people who work there, are public servants in some sense, the money that goes to fund the PA, the budget of which I believe is somewhere in the region of eight hundred or nine hundred million. I can't recall the exact figure, but it's a considerable percentage, well over one percent of the total national budget. I believe, I mean, if I recall this incorrectly, I'll stand corrected. But I believe it's over one percent of the national budget. At least it's coming from taxpayers. I mean, can you look at that function and can you re- redesign that function to take care, to take caution that you do not give any one party in the whole political ecosystem an advantage of any other party, lah, and you act on behalf of the government of the day and behalf of the state rather than sort of bringing a party mm. party character into it lah, you know and one way you can do that is to look at the role of, of party politicians and can those functions be played by people who are who are not politicians for example i'm not saying that's the only way we can redesign it to take better caution in that sense but that's one way lah. so that was the suggestion made by, 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 by my colleague Faisal in parliament. So like, I mean, because we are in the long gang here, <laughs> we have to push it a little bit. Like, <laughs> can we just go one step further and also like possibly think about delinking town councils? No, wait, 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 I think I have a better idea. I think what we need, right, is we need to have a, ha- like a hammer association. I think that's why the, <laughs> the worker, the worker <laughs> association. Okay. Like we need people, the hammer roots or something. And then uh, like working in, Focus party GRC and then they just later magically gain like a whole bunch of benefits like uh, free parking and whatever. So everybody just benefit. Just la. benefit. Just, just, no, just game what, the system. What, instead of delinking, right, we make it even more politicized. I think that's like... <laughs> I think that's, who can win? I think that's the way to go. Like, we just uber politicize everything. All the associations just make it like Let's go, 100%. <laughs> no, I'm just being facetious. Then we can flesh out that proposal. <laughs> like, send, send an email to the, the workers' email, party yeah, email. Okay, okay. Like, hey yeah. man, I've got this yeah. proposal. This is how <laughs> you can do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> you're kidding. kidding. We, 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 are, we are not a good people to advise <laughs> yeah. you on raising funds. We are absolutely artists here cannot make money. None of us should run for office. Next time when you become the penthouse kitties, then you help us raise some funds. No, kidding, kidding. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, I mean, like the town council right, is a very mundane day-to-day running and making sure like you know garbage is collected blah 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 and honestly I would rather my MP just you know focus their time on like you know reaching out to the grassroots and then you know doing research on policies mm-hmm. rather than you know just hey my neighbor huh? what now he's very noisy upstairs yeah. there. can you do something about it you know like I mean what, why like, Actually, I don't understand like, for, why that like, is like regarding that right the, the there is a flip side to it I used to think like that I think there is a flip side to it, which is when, like, when I see representatives, represent elected representative in the U.S., like especially on the local level, like the town, the counties, and when they don't have like specific laws in place for representative to like clean up the area, like it turns into a shithole. Like it goes really, really bad. One of the memes in recent times was there was this lady in San Francisco who got, um, he was a, she was a victim of the knockout game. So it's like kids, they'll just like punch people from behind, oh attempt no. to knock, yeah. Oh, I never heard of this one. Yeah, so. It's a good and, thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing, never heard of it. 
And in response, the, the city tried to like organize like like uh, meet the people like a rally session, you know, like to answer people people's questions. And then the but the city was so filthy that they had to send like guys in hazmat suits the night before to clean up the area before the politicians are willing to set foot in that area, which became like this a little bit of a meme, and like, it kind of goes to show right where if you don't have people in charge of like cleanliness. It, it does it simply doesn't get done but i i guess it would be like interesting also like for you leon um do you think that it is like what what do you think the responsibilities of like members of parliament should be when it comes to you know like day-to-day and then that there's the there's the day-to-day and then there's like the macro stuff right yeah you need to do research you need to connect with people but then there's also like the nitty-gritty maintenance that wow somebody still got to pick up shit at the end of the day <laughs> <laughs> we give you we give you magic pass like what are the yeah. things that you don't like to do and then you will get out of if you could well I mean for us in Workers Party we are not calling for uh, a delinking of elected MPs from town councils at this point but I think it's an interesting question I think it's an interesting question to reflect on and to think about and it's probably one of those things that we need to think about as, as the country evolves and matures now. I mean there are some practical economic reasons to to looking at that Right now, different town councils will run municipal services, be the cleaning, horticultural, uh, repair works on HDB blocks that are aging. So this is done in a decentralized way. So some have argued that, well, there will be some benefits if you centralize it under one agency. So that agency will then have economies of scale commercially and also economies of scale in terms of expertise that can be applied nationally. And that was how it used to be done before town councils were introduced, I think, in 1988 or 1989. Yeah, and it can't be politicized, right? Like, you you won't like be like, hey, you're not going to get a covered walkway because if you don't vote for us or whatever. <laughs> right? I mean, okay, I, mean, I don't think fine. this is happening anymore. At least I don't think so. Yeah, but, yeah I, I don't think so. But well, I think, you know, like, we, in the mm. past, it has been like, I think there was this very famous question where, like, kid asked, was it Prime Minister Lee Sien Long? About like, oh, if I, if I, don't have whatever. I, I still pay my taxes even if I vote for opposition, right? Yes, yes, I uh, remember. Do that. I still have to? Do I still have to do my NS? Something like that, right? Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. it's kind of like it's <laughs> it's in the same vein, right? Where like your choices as a citizen kind of politicized by you know by the the the, the advantages given to you. That's paid by taxpayer yeah, money. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, I. I think that was something we saw in the past. Yeah, I don't uh, think it's with happening the anymore. Upgrading. It doesn't seem to be happening so much, which is not to say it won't happen again in the future. I don't know. Uh. We cannot, <laughs> we cannot predict not. the future. <laughs> exactly. But, but I would say, I mean, of course, on the flip side, having the MP also so play that role does attune the MP to very local concerns la, about what, what people want to see happening in their state, just, just at a very basic local level. So there's some... There's some benefits to that so that the MP doesn't become too detached from the, the ordinary realities that people live in. Uh, you know, like if you are in some remote place and you never come to the HDB, that's, that's not desirable. I mean, we do want MPs to engage. And I think for us in Workers' Party, the Workers' Party uh, leaders and activists are regularly engaged. I mean, not just the MPs, even other leaders and the CEC, other activists in the party. Uh, we're doing house visits, we're doing market outreach, estate walks, uh, various things to stay in touch with people. And I think there's some uh, benefit. And for the Workers' Party, we are very committed to running the town councils well, to making sure that things are done 
properly to a high standard that we listen to residents we do things so i think you know for, for that reason we are not calling for a change to the system right now but it is something worth reflecting on mm-hmm. for example another line you can take is that in some other countries this local government function is subject to a separate election where you have local government elections and then those elections a political party still contests, but those elections are fought on local issues. They're not fought on national policy issues. They're fought on, you know, do you want a bridge here? Do you want to change this playground to the playground design that, 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 that Jerry wants, you know? Where, where, where you have more exercise feature rather than, than children's feature, for example, you know? So, so that, that, that's also worth thinking on. I think these are questions worth reflecting on, you know, as, as, as things evolve. But I think for us in Workers' Party, we are very committed to doing an excellent job. And we give our best to, to run these town councils and, and we're not calling for that system to be changed in the short term. Actually, one question for this is like, what you were saying just now is there's a municipal side and then there's like a political side in some, in some countries, <coughs> right? So my question is, if that's the case, then what's the mayor position in Singapore for? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. Because that's supposed to be the knows. municipal side of things in, in a lot of uh, cities, right? Like the mayor of New York takes care of uh, all the <laughs> nonsense in New York, but mm-hmm. the, the politics is a different story. Yeah, you... I, I, you can choose you not to, to answer that question. question rather than ask me. That, okay, because okay. I can't really give fair, a fair. totally convincing fair. answer. Although I will say that what they have said is that the mayor can do things at a certain intermediate level between what the elected MP can do, which is just at the ward level, and mm. what the government ministry can do is at the national level. So they are somehow in the middle, and okay. they, they, they do things where they, they, they lump together a few constituencies, so they get some economies of scale, but it's not to the same extent as national, but okay. it's to some extent. So that, that's the reason that's been offered. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I noticed that New York has one Mayor, London has one mayor. We have uh, five or six, I think. So yeah. uh, it's interesting. Yeah, why? But why? Uh, you should ask someone else. You get another guess on. Okay. On okay. Can, I, can I? Can I? Do can you, can you I, have recommendations? Fair. Like, who you ask about this? Ask, invite one of the mayors to come. Oh, that's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we try. We try. We we not so atas yet. Maybe we have to wait until we we are like penthouse kitties or something. <laughs> can, can I ask a quick layperson question, if you don't mind? Sure. So I've noticed uh, throughout our, our, you know, this entire live stream session that you you are a man of data. You love your data, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. As a parliamentarian, what data is available to you that is not available to the public? Of course, uh, this is the exception is like matters of national security and and defense, right? But other than that, what data do you have, like census data or what that you have but we cannot have access to? Well. We can file parliamentary questions to get data that is not in the public domain, right. so that we can do. Uh, that is not a foolproof method to get data, because sometimes when we file a parliamentary question, we, we do not get a direct answer to, to what is asked. Sometimes a reason is given, sometimes a reason is not given, and there are examples of both. You know. But I would say that we can get information that way, and we have gotten information that way in the past. Beyond that, what, what access to data do we have? Beyond that, I wouldn't say we have. Uh, there's a huge difference between what we can access and what um, the general public, uh, public right. can, can access. Uh, right now, as far as opposition and peace are concerned, mm. generally speaking, I mean, we will occasionally get briefings mm. on, on, on national issues, but it doesn't happen 
in a very uh, regular kind of systematized way. So in some mm. other countries, you have standing committees mm. for national security, for intelligence, for right. different things, you know, and, and, and those committees will mm. meet regularly every week, every month, right. whatever it is, and they will regularly engage with civil servants mm -hmm. who give them briefings. Some of those briefings are confidential. And, you know, those committees are bipartisan. Like, usually you have government and opposition as well. Okay. So okay. we don't have that structure. We don't have the structure at the moment. Okay. We have called for more standing committees in parliament to 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 play more of that kind of role and also to review legislation right. at the moment we don't have that structure and the other thing we have called for which we think would be very very helpful is to have an office within the government that provides research to legislators right using civil service right, data right, 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 for example right, the budget right. impact so if you propose yeah. something what will be the impact on, on the budget of what you propose? You know, because you need econometric modeling to, exactly. to, to do that. Exactly. You can attempt your own econometric modeling, but it's better to have that done by the professional civil service. So you have that kind of institution in, in the US, in the UK, I believe oh. you have that as well. In Taiwan, in Taiwan's legislature, I believe you have that as well. Okay. So it's a norm in some countries. In some countries, it's a norm. Yeah, I was just wondering, because, because you guys have to you know, uh, do research and make policy and, and write papers on these policies. And then if you don't have the, if you're unable to get the data to, to back all that up, or if you're unable to pay for, for, for organizations to collect the data for you, then well, what do you do? You, you own self, you only have the same data that I have, which I go to census.org.sg census or something, you know, to, 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 to get. Yeah, we, we, we go to census.org. Right. Right. I mean, there's yeah, various sites and you use public data. I mean, uh. the, 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 you can get some mileage from using public data. We try to do that. Uh, of course, we, we, we don't have a large professional full-time staff to work on that. La. I mean, mm. that's the thing, you see. We, we don't have that. Uh, the government can draw upon the civil servants and they can produce policy proposals that have been researched by, by, by professionals who are working full-time. Okay. So we have to draw upon our own resources, be it volunteers or, you know, be it our own efforts, whatnot. La, you know? So in some other countries, you have this this body in the legislature that provides research support to all parties in the legislature. So that is what we have actually been calling for. Yeah. So right now, right, if like you, let's say for some reason you do, you do Lee Sien Long a solid favour, for some reason. Okay, like, <laughs> are we magical moments? Yeah, no, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not. <laughs> but this is plausible. This is yeah, very okay, plausible. Okay, 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 yeah, no, right. like, okay. So scared now. Okay, Leon, bro, okay, I, I think you're cool. Okay, I'll give you one ticket. And this ticket, right, will enable you to get one one piece of data yeah piece of data right that that you are not able to get now what what would be that data what, what would be that data it could be any statistic that you that you know within the bounds of reason that the government should have it's the golden ticket to the <laughs> parliamentary <laughs> chocolate factory <laughs> finally we finally get the forbidden fruit leon and the chocolate factory <laughs> that would be a very a very Tough one, I suppose. Um, gosh, yeah. I mean, nothing that you guys have thrown at me so far has stumped me, but that, <laughs> yeah, I seem to be drawing a blank on that one because there are different, different things I would love right. to know. Right, right. So if you ask me to pick out one, maybe an issue that's closer to your heart. I don't know if you're talking about like education or. Yeah, I mean, there, there are various things. There are mm. various things. I, I, I think some of those things we can. We can pick you, but I guess you know uh, if you want to talk about a golden ticket, mm. it would have to be dun, dun, something. Dun. <laughs> <laughs> it would have to be something that we have not been able to get that information right. uh, from PQs, la. So yeah, again, I'm drawing a blank. So maybe I I I play my 
Stall for time. Okay, you, can, want can, to, no you want to call a friend no or not? We got that option. <laughs> call somebody like LO or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I think we're going to wrap it up in a mm. little bit because we've mm. gone a, quite over time because mm. I, I did promise you 60 to 90 minutes. We've gone a little bit over that. Mm. But I'm just going to read out some questions. Oh, this one not really. A, uh, yeah, I guess it's a question. This one is from uh, Natalie, our Discord moderator. Thank you, Natalie, for doing your job. Uh, okay. So she asks, you are a tour guide bringing a visitor to Anson Ward. What is one story you will tell this visitor that will cause them to never see this area in the same way again? Well, I would say that back in 1980, JBJ was active there. And you know when he would campaign every now and again, I think some supporters would give him a very large hammer. And he like a real one? Up, yeah, he would hold up that <laughs> hammer. Wow. I, th I think there was a particular supporter who gave him a particular large hammer. Uh, there, there, are, there are a few of those large hammers around, something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. So he held it up. And if I'm not wrong, like, that, that very same hammer... Is, is now in the Workers' Party headquarters. Oh. So we wow. have hung it up on the wall. Like a That's rally amazing. or something. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that came from that era of the 80s. And it, it was a supporter who actually gave that hammer to JBG. I believe, la, yeah. Can I just say that I one of the things that I love the most when going to the WP rallies during the elections is always the how people dress up. Some people like have signs and there's always this one guy with like a hat, like it's a, it's a construction helmet and he's got like giant flags going upwards. <laughs> and I just freaking love that guy. Oh yeah, there's always a guy with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah, that yeah. one very iconic guy. And okay, so I'm going to ask another question. This is from like Facebook uh, and it's about 377A. Okay, so like, I think many people, especially people in the activist space, or, you know, in the more liberal sector were very surprised when the party whip was lifted for the repeal of 377A. Myself as well, because, you know, 377A is about criminalization, right, of gay people. And it's not like child adoption for gay people or like gay marriage, right? So I think a lot of us were surprised that the party whip was lifted. Is that a decision that you agree with? And I guess... The other question would be, is WP's party position such that like it's okay to infringe on somebody's, I guess. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a lot of ammunition uh, in one <laughs> sentence. Is it, is, it okay to yeah. is it okay to criminalize somebody based on somebody else's, you know, religious belief in a secular society? So that's a great question. I mean, thanks. Thanks for that. I think... <laughs> If you look at what happened in Parliament, and I think this was clarified by the leader of the opposition, Pritam, we did have a party position, and that party position was defined by the majority of the MPs, and that was also clarified and put across by Pritam. So it's not the case that the party said that we're not going to have any position at all. We, we had a position that was defined by, by, by the majority. But having said that, the party decided that we should lift the whip because this was a matter of personal, a deep personal belief and conscience. And we felt it was appropriate in this case to allow everyone to, to, to exp not just express their view, but also to cast their vote based on those deep personal beliefs. But at the end of the day, the party will still have a position that is defined by the majority. Now, this is not so unusual. This has happened in the past. The PAP has done the same thing. There are a number of examples. One example in the past was the human organ transplant bill, where the People's Action Party lifted the whip 
the bill was 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 passed, right? But 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 they allowed uh, MPs to vote according to their conscience, lah. In that case, and there are a couple of other examples as well. I I won't sort of list them all out mm. right now. But I think the I mean that, that insofar as the view of the the party is concerned, lah. You know, there, there 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 was a position taken, but I think we felt that on this kind of issue, where there are there are deep personal beliefs, there are there are deep convictions involved. You know, it is appropriate to let people express that. But having said that, I think the minority of MPs who voted against a repeal of 377A were also very emphatic in their speeches to say that they were not advocating for an enforcement, proactive enforcement of 377A. You know, they, they were not advocating for that, nor were they advocating for, for example, discrimination in the job market against gay people. So I think that also needs to be... Uh, Clarified. Yeah, I think like, I guess the thing is, I think we mentioned this before, like, it could be this like right now, right? But we don't know what's going to happen in the future if the law is still in, in place, right? Maybe like, you know, like, for example, in the USA, abortion is banned. So now in like some places, we don't know what can happen. So, but anyways, the, the it's repealed. And- like I'm glad that it's repealed. But um, to, just to play the angels advocate, now, I've been playing devil's advocate the whole time. I'm can just, you, you know, even do that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I'm, I'm, the the, I'm the, I'm the angels advocate, advocate now. Like so like I think, news. yeah, actually, I think it's one of those things where I have to agree with the Workers' Party in terms of lifting the whip on this matter. It is a very deeply personal issue. And my experience with religious people when I talk to them about 377A, they are not, most of them, they are not coming from a position of like hatred or they like want you to die or they want you to be discriminated against. They really come from a position of like, in some sense, love. They do want like things to, to like for you to change. They, they want you to like connect with God in accordance to their holy book or holy text. And whether you agree with that or not, right? I think it's a separate topic, but for for them, they have to follow the word of their creator, and they have to they they they. For them, it's really like that. There's this quote from what's the kingdom of heaven? It's like you cannot stand before God and say that virtue was not convenient at the time, and this is probably like something for them to consider. On the flip side, like putting the party whip on, like the PP putting the party whip on on this particular issue, having all their members voting in a certain way, that kind of like screams to me is like, oh, you have, you have to be pro pro Okay, I I would make the distinction here. I just want to clarify my own position. I think like, it's okay to, I think it would be very agreeable to me if you lifted the party weight for things like gay adoption, like, you know, or even gay marriage, right? Like, I think that is a religious take that you can have. But on 377A, which involves people potentially being in jail, even though Supreme Court has been like, okay, we're not going to enforce it. I think that's a very different thing than, yeah, but, I mean, like, you know, they are voting, they are voting at this point in time, right? Like, this is the moment in history that they are reflecting upon the vote. And then their 377A has never, has, I don't, since the British have left, it's never been enforced. It has been. Since the British have left? Yeah. So usually their oh, disagreements are far more fiery and involve a lot more we swear are being words. Right yeah, now. Because no. of your presence, they are behaving <laughs> yeah, themselves. And I quite, quite enjoy this. <laughs> oh, so after I leave, then you'll be... Yeah, yeah, then I'll be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, the, the formation of this podcast was as a result of my <laughs> yes. disagreement. Like, 
fervent disagreement with Angie to the point where it causes Why? Jerry's wife to, to have a, a, a yeah a panic attack. Oh my goodness! Yeah, this sounds very complex, man. Yeah, yeah. We have we, a separate episode just to, just to deal with that. Just, just an additional information. We were arguing about contemporary dance. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's like our our history, and we we Genesis are just like this always just vehemently disagreeing with each other. But you know, no, but disagreement is good. I mean, disagreement is healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the truth and the right way forward emerges from from debate and disagreement. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot determine the truth if everyone just. You have group thing and you all agree, yeah. you know. You can't so, have like people in charge deciding what is truth, right? And I, I feel like the parliament should be a reflection of the Longkang here. So there's like the conservative people, there's the right left-wing people, there's people on the fence, and then uh, there's there's this clown over here, this, this degenerate clown. So every jester, every court must have its jester. This is my argument. <laughs> so so okay, since we are like focusing on the jester right now, maybe the jester can give us the magical yeah. moment. And explain yeah, the magical before, moment. Before yeah. Can yeah. I just uh, yeah. come in sure. very quickly yeah. to run yeah, off sure, on sure, that? Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, I think what was remarkable to me from that whole experience, and you know, it was profoundly moving experience for me being a part of that debate. I think for mm. all my workers' party colleagues, it was as well. Mm. What was what what was incredible for me was that we found that unity in diversity. I mean, we we had differences over something that that is fairly fundamental in a way, lah. You know as far as private belief is concerned, but we respected the right to, 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 to disagree. We, we, we agreed to disagree. We, we lifted the whip so everyone could express their vote on the issue of personal conscience. But at the same time, we were united as a team, you know, and, you know, those, the minority of WPMPs who, who, who voted in a different way from myself, I mean, I have tremendous respect for them. I had that at the moment. I still do. They're amazing, amazing people. They, they are not people who want to discriminate against some human beings or over others, I can, I can assure you, you know. And I think for those who voted in the same way that I did, we also are profoundly respectful for, of uh, Singaporeans who have a different view on, on this issue, la, you know. So there was some common ground, I think, that I, that I mentioned. I mean, even the minority said, hey, you know, we don't want to proactively enforce it. So there's, there's, there's some common ground. But I think that is that was unity and diversity, lah. You know, I mean, after that vote, we all took a group photo uh, together, which was amazing. And mm. you know, we are great friends. We are great colleagues. I hope I always continue to be, lah. You know. Okay, now now for the project. Explain the magical moment. Okay, so so in the Longkang, we have a ritual, sir. It is a ritual where I give a very strange, maybe, maybe even absurd hypothetical to our guest. Right, it serves multiple purposes, perhaps for entertainment for our fans, but it also there is like a hidden test within. <laughs> and, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and, and poor poor Dr. Chi, who came to the podcast twice, had to go through this terrible trial by toys. fire. Yeah, trial by fire. <laughs> Can I skip this and go straight to the bar? <laughs> <laughs> no, you <laughs> must. You must uh, let me say that to you because it's a Star Wars hypothetical. Oh, great. Yes, terrific. Oh, so, okay. you know, in, in these uh, hypotheticals, you're always like the star of the show, the Jedi, you know, the guy who's like has the magical powers. But in this hypothetical, you are not. Okay, so imagine, I want you guys to imagine, <laughs> all of you, that you guys know what the Death Star is, right? It's a big ball that can shoot a giant laser that can blow planets up, right? Angie? <laughs> I have actually not watched any Star Wars Yes, before. that's why I feel I need to explain uh, to you I, because oh everybody here. Yeah, I know what yeah. it is, yeah. The, wait, the, it's not a star, it's, it's not a space ship, station. Right? It's no, a space it's a space station. station. Okay. It's a very, yeah, it's a, it's a moon-sized okay, okay. space station. It's so it's a, a weapon, la, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, we're it. being very divisive here. Star Wars fan <laughs> and non-Star Wars fan. That's a huge divide. 
it's just her. It cannot. Yeah, it's just her. The only person who doesn't watch it is her. The rest of us are. Yeah. Fine. There's no division here. It's just to give Angie context, right? There is a there is a, a galactic government called the Empire, and they are in charge of the Death Death Star. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you are just a an officer on the Death Star. That's your job. Okay, you believe in your government's vision of a united galaxy, mm-hmm. right? And then you are just there for work. You are like a officer technician sort of thing. Nine right? to five guy lah. Maybe a bit more important, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, okay, so this is what happens. Okay, the, the the Death Star moves, and then now you are above a planet, right? A planet called Alderaan, and then your superiors tell you, okay, guys. There's a bunch of terrorists on this world. We gotta blow up this planet, right, for the sake of the unity of this galaxy. Okay, and then so you you set about doing your work, right? This is your job, okay. And your rival officer, the person whom you intensely disliked in the beginning, in the in the same line of Korean dramas, is now your lover, the the love of your <laughs> <Wow>. life. <laughs> okay, so imagine this: you have a rival officer, right, who became your love interest over over thirteen thirteen episodes, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you are deeply in love with this person, right? So now your your lover, okay, they are your rival officer, right? And Wait, while the, so the rival officer is also the lover. Yes, both. your your lover, your lover. Yeah, okay. your lover. Okay, so, so it's your, like a, it's like a friendly rivalry. Friendly rivalry, yeah, which ended up becoming lovers, right? Okay, and then while the 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 the, emp- the empire council is debating about whether they want to blow up the planet, okay, in in the privacy of that room. Right, your lover slash slash rival officer slips on a banana peel, and then their hand like or their butt like hits the the big red button <laughs> in the Death Star, and before oh my before anything happened, right before the the your superiors have given the order, a big bad giant laser <laughs> shoots out from the Death Star and <laughs> blows up the planet, and millions of people are dead. <laughs> And you're laughing. <laughs> this is why we call him a degenerate. No, no, me. <laughs> you like it, Dan Wong. You like it. <laughs> so, so now the question is this, okay? Okay, you, you alone know what what mistake was made, right? Your your lover has made the mistake, right? <laughs> what will you do now? How will you account to your superiors? But aren't you supposed to destroy it anyways? No, we don't know yet. We don't know that oh. yet. Yeah, you don't know that because you're just a junior officer, right? You don't know that. Oh. Yeah, but but you know somebody screwed up. Somebody made a big bad mistake. You could sabotage that person. You could pauto them, right? But they're your lover. <laughs> well, what would you do? Well, I suppose the, the first thing I would do is go and look to bring to justice the person who designed the whole red button wow. so that you can, you can just accidentally fall and press a red button and destroy millions of people with no fail-safe mechanism. So, I mean, whoever designed that needs to be held to account. I mean, oh, that's okay. the first priority. Wait, hang on. Don't forget there was, what, there's a two-feet yeah, pot yeah, that proton torpedoes can go in and The whole Death Star was just a, just a calamity waiting to happen anyway. Although, apparently, that, 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 that the flaw was deliberately put in there. Right, yeah. there's someone who's supposedly right, 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 according right, to Rogue right. One, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but um, no, okay. I think if it was me being me mm-hmm. and knowing what we know about the Empire, you know, it is basically an evil authoritarian kind of government that is more interested in strengthening its power and its position rather than the well-being of 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 the people. Uh, you know. Although there is a certain ideology where they rationalize to themselves that that's good. Mm-hmm. And many people in the political sphere who do bad things also rationalize that they're actually doing good. Lah, you know? But you know, you know they're basically all evil and they set no value by human life or welfare. Or I shouldn't say human. Lah, I mean, 
sentient being life or right, welfare. Right, I'm right. discriminate against, right. you know, rookies. <laughs> against, <laughs> against, yeah. you know, against discrimination. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, knowing, knowing that, then I would say there is no... And knowing the fact there was an accident, right? right it wasn't delivery, right, it was an accident. Right, right. Then I, I wouldn't necessarily blow the whistle on my friendly arrival. Uh, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't really uh, come forward and, and, and throw her or him or her under the bus. Would you take the blame for them, maybe? Would I take the blame? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think probably I would try to find a way to make it out that, 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 that no one was to blame if, if, if possible. Right. It's kind of a moot point because I assume there will be CCTV there. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's supposed to be hypothetical to see whether you throw your loved one under the bus. So what, what would you guys do? Throw, throw under the bus, uh, then I can become the, uh, the get promoted, you know, get higher up in the ranks and do more evil shit. Uh, this is <laughs> Yeah, I'm really in the Galactic Empire. Just, mm. just roll with it, really. Yeah, just double down. <laughs> right, I mean, if you if you get caught by the rebels, you're going to get executed anyway. Then if, like, <laughs> if you betray the empire, then you'll be hunted down as a deserter, then get executed as, a, <laughs> as, as well. So it's just like, just double down, just like, yeah, just do more evil shit and just like hope that everything works out. Not necessarily, you know, in the Endor uh, series, New Republic has rehabilitation program one. Oh, is it? Wow. Yeah. So ex-Empire people can be rehabilitated. Wow. Yeah, but that's like... Wait, that's after... After the events of the... Episode the new, 6. After yeah. episode 6. Yeah. So then if you're in... Elder Ren, right? That means that's New Hope era. Oh, yeah, so heaven, so heaven yeah. had the rehabilitation that's true, that's true. Yeah, so. The rebel may just, may just kill you. Yeah, I'll just get gunned down. And then, yeah. At that yeah. point, they were just like, you know, yeah. <laughs> kill everyone in the Empire. <laughs> okay. Angie, what about you? Or Jerry? You want to go first? Uh, I think I would probably, if there's CCTV, I'll probably try to get rid of the footage. Like, figure <laughs> out something so like nobody Good is one. there. Yeah, so like nobody is there. Like there's no trace of like any me or my lover, you know, like, and then once that happens, then I'll just be like, huh? I don't know. What? What? A, a planet was killed. People were killed. Like sentient beings were killed. Oh, too bad. So it's like, I clearly live longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I clearly live longer. I am very like pragmatic Singaporean that way. Okay. Oh, very good. You, 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 you can think to sort of uh, change the rules of the game. Yeah. yeah remove the CCTV footage. Mm -hmm. But because like if no one else is there, then only yeah. I know. Then I don't need to see anything, right? Like, but there's C if there's CCTV, then you know, like I'll just plot twist. Away, your lover betrays you. Oh, oh no! Oh no! That's why you prisoner's dilemma. That's why you. That's why you betray them first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your answer, Jay? Okay, my answer is similar to John's, but I won't betray my lover. I will come out and claim credit and not oh. point finger. Oh. I, like, I made the decision. Yes, I'm a junior <laughs> officer. Right? You guys are all seniors, right? So indecisive, you're bad for the empire. I made the decision. <laughs> oh my goodness, wow. Jerry. Yeah. You have the guts to <laughs> take the skill. <laughs> the skill of evil, you all can see. <laughs> One to five. like fast track promotion. This employee <laughs> initiative, you know, is terrific. <laughs> very nice, very nice. They Give hang a portrait stormtrooper of the month. <laughs> <laughs> For taking initiative. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Then what do you say already? No, no, no. But I've been... I'm a romantic at heart. So I guess I would I would go along. But I wouldn't be so smart as you to remove the CTV. <laughs> what would you do then? 
I'll just uh, take the, the fall, uh, yeah, take the blame. Mm. Yeah. Wow, so like yeah. so romance. So romantic. You just need to imagine wow. your romantic partner, you know, then Ayyo. it's easier that way. <laughs> I mean, and then she may save you just at the last minute when you're gonna be executed. <laughs> yes. Like, and you jump into a life pod or something. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. I mean, a very nice like escape. Drama. It's like a drama. I mean Ben loves punishment anyway. Oh yeah. Maybe I, like I, you'll I mean, be like very happy when he's swinging or whatever. I don't know, get like Stabbed by a lightsaber or something. <laughs> yes, Angie. Choked by Darth yeah, Vader. Yeah. I don't know Choked if you like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh, tighter, tighter. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. So this, this episode has gone on for quite a while. Thank you, Leon, for spending mm-hmm. so much time with us. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks yeah. to the whole Uncle Kitty's so team for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's been great. So we'll okay, come we, back again, right? Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. If we, you want, if you still want to have me, la. Of course, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Not being polite, la. We do have the. We do have. No, we're not polite here. <laughs> polite here. Yeah. Okay, we do have Dion's social media profile down in the description below. Okay, go and check those out. Follow his Instagram, his Facebook. That's the Workers Party website as well. Dion, do you have anything that you would like to plug, or like to share? Maybe something upcoming. Mm. Just anything you can think of. Well, we have a lot of events upcoming, so I'd just like to ask everyone who has an interest in some of the things we discussed today to just follow our social media, be it the Workers' Party, be it individual members of, of, of the Workers' Party. So we do talk about our events there. And I think the last thing I'll say is, yeah, and just always believe in a better future, you know, for the country, for the next generation. Never give up on that. Improbable is never impossible. Always reach for the stars because uh, if you don't, if you don't reach too far, you'll never know how far you can reach. Oh my God! That's, is that Star Wars reference? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I don't think so. Think so. Yeah. <laughs> but it could be. It could be. Yeah. Could be. I need to have a new hope. Awesome sauce. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah. today, today we will end, and tomorrow we will work for the workers, and then later we will party. Yeah. In fact, we are about to party with some alcohol, I think. My, so my Discord, my Discord, net, net, um, no. Discord moderator challenged me to include that line, so I've included it in that. Oh, the okay. <laughs> yeah. like, is, that, is, that, is that line trademark? Can we, can we steal it? No, no, no. Please, by all means, go and take it. Okay? Yeah, she will yeah. be so happy. Yeah, just Natalie, she, so Natalie happy, will be yeah. very elated. Okay, yes. Natalie, yeah. Please nice take lady. it. Okay. And so, with that, that should be the end of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening in. Thank you, Leon, for spending so much time with us. And then, uh, we sh- please follow our social media, join our Discord, and we shall see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you. See you. Thank you so much for coming on.